Australia Python Radio with your hosts Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Variety Python Radio. On tonight's episode, we are joined by Martin Rosemond from Martin R. Morelia. Martin has an amazing collection of carpet pythons. Uh, his setups are amazing. He produces amazing animals. I've been wanting to get him on the show for a very long time. Um, but uh, we're going to pick his brain about tonight, about his projects, his breeding strategies, and what he has in store for the future. Uh, and we'll get him going in a couple minutes. But uh, we are days away from the Hello. Northeast Carpet Fest uh, this Saturday. June 3rd, it's in Warminster, PA. If you don't know about it, shirts will hopefully be here by Saturday. We're hoping. Maybe. Maybe. It's looking good. It's looking good for some people. Other people, you may be out of luck, but, you know, we'll see. Um, I think at this point, we're good on food, so if anybody's coming, just come on down. And if you want to feel like bringing your favorite dish, do it up, man. Uh, I'll leave it up to people for what they want to bring. Um I guess the other thing that I would mention, if you're looking for hotel info or anything like that, uh, you know, get in touch with me. I can let you know what's around. There's tons of hotels in this area, tons, tons, and tons uh, all over the place. And uh, oh, and you're going to tell us about the auction because you're kind of running that whole shit. Right. Uh, if you are uh, wanting to contribute anything to the auction, uh, please drop me a line. Let me know what you want to contribute. Uh, if you are going to come to Carpet Fest, make sure you bring uh, your, you know, e- e- extra change and maybe some willingness to kind of get some stuff because we are going to have some really cool stuff in the auction this year. Uh, a couple of vouchers from myself, Eric, a few other Morelia people, uh, breeders that we know. Uh, and then we've got this miscellaneous stuff, which just keeps getting cooler and cooler. So we're going to have a painting uh, from Jeff Frederick of a diamond python. I don't know if anybody's seen that on Facebook. He just sent me a updated picture of it. And then Eric and I had a very big fight before we went live about <laughs> which one of us, which one of us is allowed to have nice. that. And I don't I care. Got the I got the diamond. gavel. I don't oh. care. <laughs> I'll rig the entire thing. <laughs> uh, I will get my wife to booze you and then I will win. That's not fair. Cause you know, that's really easy to do. So <laughs> nice. Anyway, um, and then we have uh, Dennis is going to bring some stuff from the zoo. Uh, I haven't gotten what Chris Salemi is going to bring, but he brought some cool stuff last year. He brought a tiger print last year. Dennis is bringing uh, ostrich eggs, blown out ostrich eggs. So it's just the shell. And like I've always wanted one of these things since I was working at a zoo. So I'm gonna punch somebody for that one too. So I might lose a lot of money coming Saturday. I don't know. So um, I, I know Buddy Buscemi threw up a $750 voucher for his stuff. Yeah. And that's, Whoa. that's big chondro money right there. I mean, that took, I know that's like taking the half, half out of one of his big, big, you know, beautiful chondros and cutting the price in half. So Holy crap. <laughs> um, there's a lot of good stuff. And, and I assume we'll probably get some other people. Like I said, if you are willing to donate anything to the auction, please get in contact with me and we'll have you signed up for it. Uh, 
I know Keith McPeak offered up one of his baby uh, Amazon tree bows that he just produced. Nice. Um, and then I know uh, there was, I know Matt Minitola offered something. So that's cool. I know Frank Good offered up a uh, blood python that I can't remember what the hell it is. Um, yeah, 2016 Het Tipaz. Boy. Nice. So yeah. So there's gonna Frank be a lot of cool stuff. Up. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's gorgeous. The pictures are gorgeous. So you know, definitely if you're coming, it, it's gonna be a good auction. So yeah, I've been uh, <clears throat> uh, we were talking before the show. I've been I've been running around like crazy trying to get everything uh, everything done. Oh, don't forget Ian Bissell. He he, you got him on the list, right? Uh, I have to get my list out, and my computer oh, shoot. Keeps, like crashing. So right. yeah, um, make sure we're having issues, technical issues. Technical issues, oh, no worries. Um, always. Yeah, I've been running around like crazy, get trying to get everything done. Uh, it's gonna be a long night tonight. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> luckily, I, I don't have work this week. Uh, I had work Monday, but for the rest of the week, I don't. Uh, looks like the pool's going to hook up. Uh, I haven't checked the weather. Um, I know that it's been off and on, like it's saying it's going to rain, then it's saying it's right. Saturday, part, partly sunny, 75, I got. Uh, uh, not the best for swimming, but I work so goddamn hard on that pool. Somebody's been, getting in it. <laughs> somebody's getting in the goddamn pool. I don't care if I have to throw somebody in there. Somebody's getting in there. <laughs> Oh, man, what a, what a lot of work. Jesus. That's, that's like a headache like you won't believe. But it'll I be know. worth it. It uh, will and be. And di- we found out that the diving board is broke. So no <laughs> diving off the diving board. Uh, you should, so you, that, yeah. yeah the insurance bad. person in me wants it gone anyway. So um, I know. So, I want a jacuzzi there. That's next year, though. So, ah, but, planning. But hopefully by good. next year, it'll be all repaid and re-cemented and, uh, and – uh, uh, it is uh, it is kind of unfair. Up. We keep having these events at people's houses that like you just moved into. <laughs> so it's like I haven't yeah. got this ready. I haven't got that ready. So it's like well, you know I was stressing about it at first because uh, you know I wanted my bathroom redone and all the shit redone, but I just I can't get it all done. So it is what it is. Uh, I got you. You know what I mean. So, but I mean. It's not like my house is a shithole or something like that. It's just like <laughs> not up to the standards that I want. So, so but you know, it's gonna it's gonna be an awesome time. If you're on the fence, I'm gonna be the last thing before we got one more thing before we get Martin on. But if you're on the fence about coming to this, if you don't come to this one or whatever one, anyone out there, then you're missing a great time to hang out with some great people. And dude, it's, I'm telling you, you're gonna have a blast. You're going to yep. have a blast. It is so worth it. Um, you will not regret it. I promise you. On another note, <laughs> U.S. Ark, um, who we we do all these auctions for and everything, well, we finally got the win, and I think as of today, today, May 30th? Yeah, today's May 30th. Uh, it is. You can ship all those animals that were on the Lacey Act, so... Anacondas, retex, berms. Awesome. Afrox. I have a whole basement full of anaconda I've been meaning to get rid of. So, you know. 
But, you know, I hope people still stay responsible with it. You know what I mean? I hope they don't get crazy. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be some stupid person out there that does something stupid. But for the most part, uh, it's a good thing. It's a win. If you're not signed up for their mailing list, I definitely would uh, read all about it. Uh, It's uh, definitely a cool thing. But uh, I don't know. You got anything else? No, I'm good. Um, We got to... Like like I said, this this whole week is going to be a weird week for you and me, and then next week is going to be a weird week too because you're um, you're doing the fishing trip that Tuesday, so we kind of have to push NPR back a day because um, you got to yes. come. Back, you're not going to get off that boat till like ten o'clock. So yeah, so ten o'clock at night. At nine nine o'clock, this is when we got off the boat last year. Holy shit, that's late. Oh yeah, it's a it's a day. Yeah, you're you're not doing oh, the show. So we're gonna, rather than okay. doing rather than doing the post carpet fest show without you, um, we're gonna push yeah. NPR back a day. So yeah. we'll do it Wednesday. Cool. Um, one other thing I gotta say, and this is a shame that you're not gonna be able to come to this, but it's me, Rob Stone. And I know. Chris Salemi. Um, I almost called him Chris Salami. <laughs> uh, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, we're going through the Philadelphia Zoo. Uh, Bob and Chris have not been to the zoo, but we got oh. a behind-the-scenes tour of the reptile house. Oh, oh. shit. Oh, yeah, that's nice. It's, oh, there's, they have a whole room filled with monkey tail skinks. Oh, that's going to be so sweet, dude. It, it you know, is. Rob was able to look it up. That's going to be awesome. So, yeah, I do want to go, but unfortunately I have this adult thing called work, and I'm, you know, Come unfortunately. On, well, you know what? You, you've got the office number. <laughs> Call him. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> what are you trying to do to my podcast here? Yeah, I know. You know what I mean, I keep my co-host there with me. In order to, uh, oh, you know. Although, although I did say <laughs> I wanted to do something. It's like going on vacation without your wife. Go ahead. I know, right? <laughs> so I wanted to do this thing for the auction. And I kind of want to not tell you what it is yet, but it has oh, something Jesus. to do with Jim. So, oh, um, and is it a night with Jim? I don't know. That's even hard. <laughs> no, let's not do that. But I wanted to do a thing where uh, – He's going to be there, by the way. He's going to be at Carpet Fest. I don't know for how long, and I don't know when he will arrive, but he did say he would make an appearance. So the one thing that we have to do is that we have to get a picture of me and you sitting somewhere, <laughs> and then get me your father get your dad and, my, yeah. and my dad sitting there. And we can, like, say NPR in 2030. Like 20 years, yeah. <laughs> Christ. Oh, yeah, at least we'll know. So. Yeah. Oh, and uh, uh, I'll say that at the end. But uh, all right, all right. So I guess we'll okay. get started now. Yeah, let's get Martin on here. Let's get going because uh, I want to pick his brain about some stuff. Keep rambling. Hey, yeah. Martin. Well, welcome to uh, NPR. Glad to uh, have you. Long overdue to uh, talk to you. How you doing? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You there? <laughs> Maybe he muted himself. Hold on. Oh, uh, you suck at this. <laughs> I can't 
shit. I, I don't control. I've only been doing this for five years. <laughs> uh, sometimes you hit a home run. Sometimes you win. Shit sometimes up. you lose. Sometimes <laughs> nah, you create. Sometimes you create a travesty to the, you know, <laughs> what was it? A uh, travesty to uh, the culture. He or <laughs> Yeah, right. All right, let's, uh, well, let me say this. You know, Ian has been uh, hard at work at trying to get the uh, Southeast Carpet Fest going. Yes. yes. And uh, he's doing a pretty good job because it looks like uh, he's got some, uh, some heavy hitters down there uh, helping him out. Uh, Derek Roddy, uh, I think um, Steve Tillis is helping him out as well. Um, but they're going to get that resurrected and get it going. Um, anybody who wants to get involved with trying that, definitely uh, send uh, Ian Bissell a, a PM and, uh, you know, he can hook you up. But uh, that would be awesome. I think they're shooting for February or March. It'll be okay. freezing cold up here. Um, It'll be nice but, and warm uh, down there. Yeah. Um, mm. So it'll be freezing cold up here, nice and warm down there. So it's a good time to get away. And uh, that might be worth a trip to hurt yeah. down there. If it comes off, I'm definitely gonna head down because yeah, you know, that's mm. like a hop, skip, and a jump. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I usually so, get my bonuses in February, so that wouldn't be too horrible for me. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right, so. Martin had to call in from a, a, another line, so here he is. All right, Martin. All right, welcome try to again. Show. Glad to have you. What's, Long overdue. Hey, what, what's <laughs> happening, guys? Not much. Not, not much. much. Got you in the right spot. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Martin, why don't we just jump right in? Uh, tell us what got you started into reptile. Uh well, aside from having a bunch of, you know, catching frogs and stuff like that when you were a kid, my first job was actually at a pet store. And uh, we used to sell reptiles. I mean, they, something small, like little, you know, alligator lizards or whatever they were, stuff like that. But the reptile guy would always come in at the end of the week. And I kept asking my boss, I'm like, hey, we, you know, look at his list. We should get this. We should get this. And he's like, no, nah, we're a small pet shop. We, you know, we don't do that. So I asked the guy, I said, hey, do you mind if I buy some of this stuff? I don't know if you guys ever remember Recycler or if that's even still around. Uh, recycler newspaper? No. It's all, you know, it's, a, it's like a penny saver, I think. And, uh, and so I asked the guy, I said, hey, can I, can I buy reptiles off of you and, uh, you know, and sell them? He's like, sure. So he gave me his list. So I would call him every week, order whatever reptiles that uh, I wanted, put them on a recycler and sell them, and, you know, I ended up keeping some of the stuff for myself. So it kind of started with that. I was still in high school. I think I was a junior in high school, and uh, just kind of steamrolled from there. Awesome. So did that kind of segue you into a certain type of uh animal like which what led you to carpet i was all over the place in the beginning i had you know monitors and you know ball pythons red tail boas burmese pythons you name it i was you know i was just i just liked reptiles but carpet my buddy jeff uh actually way back then got a uh banded carp jungle carpet python which was actually white and black i mean if i would have known about that then what we know now i Probably would have, you know, set me off on a different uh, path for carpet <laughs> pythons. But, you know, and, you know, and ultimately he ended up selling that snake for whatever reason. It was like no big deal, just a snake, right? But uh, I, I remember that when I kind of got back into snakes seriously, 
and kind of start focusing in on, on certain, uh, you know, kinds. And uh, I was like, man, you should have kept that, car- that carbon python you had. Yeah. But uh, as I got back into it, I was in the emerald tree bullet for a long time. Uh, got away from that and started breeding leopard uh, geckos. And then I, when I decided I wanted to get back into snakes, you know, I was a toss up between uh, emeralds and carpet python. So python's kind of won over ultimately. <laughs> okay. So, like, can you give us a kind of a quick overview of the collection that you're working with? Like, how big is it? And uh, what kind of is your bread and butter, your, the ones you really, really are excited about? I've got about 30 uh, sub-adult to adult animals uh, and a bunch of babies, obviously, right now. Um, most of my snakes are actually gamma, you know, diamond jungle jags. <clears throat> and I've got a, a trio of diamonds. I've got, um, uh, you know, four or five, you know, nice jungle carpet pythons. And I just recently just picked up some granite stuff over the last two or three months. Nice. So, like, it was, is it mainly just the jungle stuff that really attracts you? Or is it, like, basically, are you a light sider, dark sider, or picking everything from whatever? Well, the, the uh, funny thing is, I got back into it, and I was like, I'm going to go purchase uh, myself some very nice, you know, yellow and black jungle carpet pythons. Yeah. I jumped online, started kind of looking around, and, you know, and obviously all the breeders and well-known people pop up, and I'm like, oh, that's good. All of a sudden, I, I ran across this picture of uh, this snake, which I assumed was a jungle carpet python. So I called the guy up because he posted it up for sale. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, it's a great jungle carpet python. He corrected me. It's like, no, it's, it's actually a diamond jungle carpet python. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, I was like, well, what do you mean? You know, and, and it just so happened to be inner John, you know, and, and I was like, uh, wow. I was like, well, you know what? I'll, I'll take that snake. Is I get any other ones like that? So he sold me a female as well. That's also a gamma. That's how I actually got started. So I kind of worked backwards into it as far as, you know, jungles i mean i've got jungles now but i got them after the fact i mean i started right. off with gammas believe it or not. <laughs> well that's not a bad one i mean and like you said you mentioned diamond pythons and i'm still new to diamonds but it's like why didn't i do this sooner so um that's awesome yeah it's pretty cool i waited a long time to get diamonds though um for you know the the, the myths and, and the kind of stigma behind them like keeping them you ever hear all these horror stories and stuff like that. So I, I, even though I thought they were beautiful and gorgeous, it took me a very long time to actually get some diamonds. Yeah. So awesome. Awesome. You got a, it's a nice question. You said you just got granite stuff. Are you just, is this the first leap into IJ or is this kind of like, you know, couldn't resist actually, them? I, they I had, were a, too had good a pair looking. of uh, pure, pure granites uh, probably three or four years ago. And uh, strictly because I, I thought the granites were just cool. And um, I, I got an adult pair. I bought a male from uh, a person in Southern California, and then I actually bought a, uh, an adult female from uh, Todd Dyer. And uh, I was just about to, I mean, we we're, I think, on the cusp of a breeding season there, and, you know, and the, the gamma stuff just started kind of going good for me, and I started picking up a few more animals to kind of jump into that project. So I sold off that pair um, to Tony Doyer, actually, and uh, he's got those. And I didn't get back into them until I, I started kind of, getting the liking i wanted to produce a, a super zebra granite so i just set off to say you know what i'm gonna i could possibly buy one whenever somebody sells one but i'd rather just kind of you know get a pair of zebra granites or zebra head granites and, and try it and breed it myself so that's actually the reason why i got into granites awesome again yeah isn't the zebra super zebra granite it has to be one of the coolest morphs around i, th- right? I think so yeah <laughs> Dude, they're so fucking cool, man. I just love them. 
Uh, yeah, they're pretty wicked. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So we're going to – I said this in the outline, but I, I'm assuming that we, you approach diamonds a different way, so we'll keep that kind of separate. Um, yeah. But let, let's, talk about, let's talk about your setups because I'm very impressed. You know, you post pictures up on, uh, on Facebook and stuff. Your setups are flawless, man. They're freaking incredible. So tell us about, uh, you know, how you set your carpets up, you know, go babies through adults, uh, give us the lowdown, what kind of cages you're using, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so my, uh, my babies, are, I actually found a local uh, manufacturer or, you know, designer here in Ohio. It's a company called Hoven Design and Fabrication. And uh, he builds racks and, and some cages out of HDPE material. Um, and I, I liked him. I mean, there's a lot of people that do that stuff, um, obviously, and there's bigger companies that do it. But the timing and to get that stuff is, is you know, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it doesn't. I guess it's just depending on, uh, you know, season and stuff like that. But I was in the process of moving last year, so I needed, like, racks and cages quickly so I could move this stuff, put them in, you know, cages or racks or whatever, and then move the cages as, as I did. So, I set up my babies in six quart racks and, and this guy, uh, Ian from Hoven Design kind of designed these things for me pretty quick. And then from the six quarts, I move everything up to 28 quarts in the rack. And then from there, it's just either if they're a male or a small female, 36 inch, uh, cage or a 48 inch cage. And my cages right now that I have are from ProTech cages. Uh, you know, the, the, the I got the full five stack kind mm-hmm. of cages, which, you know, it's got as you know, plus and minuses on that. I mean, there, as I look at it now, I probably would, tend to go with singular cages so I can move them around and, and do what I want with them. But it's cool. Mm-hmm. Things are on wheels and they move around and, you know, makes it easy. Yeah. They're really, really nice cages. Uh, is it, I mean, what are they, what's the material they're made out of? Is it PVC? Yes. Yeah, it's the hollow core PVC. Um, these wow. particular ones, I know like habitat systems does them. Um, and I'm sure you guys, I mean, everybody knows, you know, uh, protect cages and, and what they've done and the story behind that. But, you know, he it's it's PVC hollow core on the side, uh, and it's HDPE material on the front and the and the uh, the back rather in the front actually is a combination of the two, and it's worked for me. You know, I mean, I I live in Southern California. They they kind of kept the the heat out so to speak, and and now living in Ohio, they they keep the uh, the heat in. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> okay. gone from one extreme to the other. All right. Nice. All right. Okay. So what's the, I don't know, did, you didn't say, what size are they? Are they four quarters or are you using? Yeah, I've got uh, a, a couple of 36 inch, you know, three footers. And then I've got a couple of the 48 inch because, uh, you know, some of the males, I mean, obviously they're not going to get any bigger than what they are. So 36 right. inches are fine. And some, some of the big females are in uh, 48 inch cages. Okay. And, and how high do they go? Are they 12, 15? What do you find? These particular ones are 18 inch. Yeah, these are 18 inch. I figured okay. to give them enough room to kind of move around. With the exception of my diamonds, I'm actually in the process of getting some new cages for my diamonds. Because um, for okay. you know whatever reason, I'm not sure if everybody else has the same deal, but they they seem tend to be a bit more arboreal than some of the ones that I've got. So you know, regular carpets. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I would agree. All right. Um, I noticed. Uh, I noticed. Well, that's funny you say that. Uh, I noticed that on the, a lot of the babies, you have like that plastic fencing. Um, right. That you can cut and use for perching. Do you find that the babies perch all the time? And have you seen any success with feeding from uh, the perches? 
It's 50-50, and what I do is I start I start them all off on purchase, uh, and if they tend uh-huh. to eat right away or, or within the you know the first say two to three weeks when I'm doing my you know the feeding trials, I'll leave them on those perches. If they don't eat the first or second time, then I'll get little small hides for them, and basically the hides are just you know the bottom of a of a planter from like Home Depot or something like that. I just cut a hole in them and let them crawl mm-hmm. on that, and then those animals tend to eat after the fact when you've got something dark and uh, you know and tight to hide in. Okay. But I think it's fifty. Right. I mean, you know, I think some of the ones that perch down, they look like, uh, you know, emerald tree borers or, you know, Amazon tree borers or something hanging down there. That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, what about your tents? Uh, and what are you using to for your heat source? On the racks, it's just uh, peat tape um, for the babies and even, the, you know, the, the yearlings and even up to two years old, depending on the size. The ambient air temperature in the back, uh, is 85 degrees. Obviously, on the ground itself, or on the you know, bottom of the tub in the back, it's a hot spot. But it's got a nice little gradient. So if I take a temp gun and shoot the very front of it, I mean, it, it gets to 80, sometimes even you know high 70s, which is cool. That way, they can figure out where they want to be. Um, cool. For the cages themselves, I use the heat panels. Either it's a Helix heat panel or Pro Heat, or Pro Products rather. <clears throat> um, right. The cages that uh, came from ProTech are all with Helix. Um, okay. Heat panels in there, so. Okay. Do you do like a uh, night drop at night, that kind of thing, or do you just leave a steady hot spot all the time? Only during breeding season uh, for me. Like I said, with the heat panels, it seems like it gives a, a you know a better heat gradient across the thing, especially the longer or the you know the wider tanks, the forty-eight inch tanks. So I, I kind of yeah. let the snake decide where they want to be. I mean, that their temperature probe is basically right at the edge of or outside edge of the heat panel. I'll clock that at 85, 86, you know, for the adults and, you know, wherever they want to sit, they sit. Yeah. Which is an interesting I thing thought... to talk about when we talk about eggs and breeding and stuff like that. It, mm-hmm. This year was pretty interesting as, as far as in determining where they were going to sit and lay eggs. It was the odd year. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. It should be uh... – so, what about what about your feeding? How do you approach uh, how do you approach that? Do you do a varied diet? Do you just do rats and mice, or what's, how do you break it down? The diet's been actually pretty funny. This this living in Ohio, especially. So, I've always done live, and I've always stuck with either hoppers for the babies, mouse hoppers. And I'll switch them over to rat fuzzies, and just stuck with live animals, you know, to feed. Entire time I've been breeding. Um, but and I had a reptile shop that was 10 minutes away from me in California coming here, you know, uh, the, the closest reptile shop is, you know, a little over an hour away from me. Um, and even though I can go get live wraps there, you know, in, in Cleveland, it's, it's, uh, everybody said, Hey, you need to switch to, to, to frozen because, you know, driving an hour every week is, is a bit cumbersome. So I've slowly tried to switch everybody over to frozen. Some of them are like, yep, no problem. This is good stuff. Other ones are like, you know, what is this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Give me something live to eat. So uh, it's been a bit trying, but for the most part, I, I, all of the animals eat um, rats. Uh, right now, like I said, I'm trying to switch them over to frozen everybody. I've got one jungle zebra that eats chickens or chicks. Uh, and he will. He just refuses to eat anything else. So I just say, okay, whatever. I'll just uh, feed you what, feed <laughs> There's you, what you want. There's always that one. Right? Yeah. There's always that yeah. one. Um, he is a mean sucker too. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um 
what have you have you tried any tricks that you could share with us uh that you with some of the stubborn uh ones to switch over from live to frozen fall or you know what for the frozen I, I try to heat them up as, as much as i can um you know uh-huh. if, if they, don't, they don't go for the you know hot hot strike i'll i'll actually hit you know my buddy Vito. uh gave me some tips there on that one actually he said just try cutting the head a little bit and you know draw some blood and usually that helps nine times out of ten it has it's worked no problem but then you got these other ones that are just like i just i don't care what you do this frozen rat i'm not having it you know and i'll, I'll let them go for a month you know and just say hey i'm not gonna feed you you know for the males even longer mm-hmm. uh, and if they don't need after a couple months and like i said i can go always get live stuff you know it's just it's just for me it's just like okay i just gotta take that drive yeah, it's a pain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, switching stuff over from, like, uh, you know, mice to, to rats, I haven't had any issues with that. I mean, a little bit of scenting, and it goes a long way. But, um, you know, once they decide they don't want to go frozen as opposed to live, you know, it's, it's like, well, what, what can I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, any other things that you do for your carpets that, you know, I mean, uh, that, as far as husbandry goes or – you think no, I think I keep them like everybody else. I mean, you know, I I, I, I picked up the uh, books that everybody else has and read those, ask a lot of questions. You know, I'll send people messages every once in a while and say, hey, what about this? I mean, I, I, these things have been relatively pretty easy and, and, and simplistic for me. I mean, I've had a good time with them, which is another reason why I kind of just stuck with carpets, you know. I mean, I remember my mm-hmm. first book was like that, was that big blue book from, I think, Richard Ross, uh, Dr. Richard Ross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Husband or something like that. You know, I've read that thing like, bazillion times you know so it's like okay get you everything like a book but it's like having a kid if you guys have kids the same way you have your first kid right you read the book and, and you follow everything page one all the way to you know in the book oh we got to do the stuff your second kid you're like okay i'm just going to read first three chapters or third kid you just throw the book out the door and just do it kind of comes natural you know so, yeah do yeah right. uh that's awesome that's cool yeah i think you probably get the more you do it at least for me the more you do it the more comfortable you get one thing that I always had is like I always thought that they were so delicate, you know, and until like Owen would come to my house and prove to me that they're not, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know, just various things that would, you know, it's usually something that uh, something went wrong or something, and you know, I'd call up Owen and say, "Hey, Owen, have you ever seen this?" And he'll be like, "Yeah, yeah," and he'll come over, and I'll be like, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" And he's just like, "What?" It's what you know, it, it, over time, it. just. Yeah, you just realize that. Oh, okay. You know, it's like I don't, I don't. I always <laughs> felt that they were like this delicate. You can't do that. You can't touch this. You know, you might hurt them or whatever. But uh, that's yeah, funny. They're, they're pretty resilient. That's for sure. Oh hell yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's go more in depth with your collection a little bit. And like, what's I mean? I guess your main project is Diamond Jungle Jags. Uh, yes. Tell us about it and what you hope to produce down the line. Um, well, I mean, obviously I want to get these things as, as yellow as I possibly can. I mean, I've got some of these snakes actually. I mean, some of them I don't even post because it's just the color just doesn't show up right on a, on, on a picture. I try it with a regular camera, your phone, you know, especially when you put something on social media, it just kills the color as it is anyway. But, yeah. um, just trying to get the color as bright as I can and keep that true yellow. Um, and then, um, I don't know if you call them designer gammas or whatever, but I mean, I started off with like, okay, I got a couple striped animals, you know, a couple of years ago. And I'm like, oh man, I need to try to enhance the stripes, kind of keep reproducing it. And so far it's, you know, it's been pretty cool. Every clutch, every, not every clutch, but every season, at least I've had a couple of clutches where I've, I've you know, pulled out some pretty uh, awesome striped animals. And um, 
and I've tried to also kind of reduce that pattern a little bit. I mean, you've seen some other, like the Iron Jaya Jungle Jags, you, you know, you can get those, you know, pretty reduced pattern. Um, with the gammas in my experience, but, you know, with the animals that I've got, I just haven't been able to do that. So slowly, you know, I think this is the first year actually that I produced one that's, you know, it's pretty reduced and I was, I was pretty impressed. And so obviously I'll try to breed that back into the mix and, and see if I can kind of, you know, kind of do that. So, I mean, I, there's a couple of things that I have that have reduced patterning in the latter part of their bodies. And, you know, and mm-hmm. that's actually the one that produced this reduced pattern uh, gamma, which is pretty cool. So if I can kind of keep doing that every year, you know, I think I'm on to something, but I mean, there's been a couple other traits that just like, eh, it doesn't work. Like inner John's pattern. I, I've been able to mm-hmm. produce that every year. No problem. The stripes, are, you know, as it is right now, so far I've been lucky. I've been able to reproduce that. Um, every year as well. So hopefully I can get to the point where I can get a bunch more and be able to, you know, sell some of these things and, and get them out there to somebody else as opposed to just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I had a question about the gamma stuff in particular, but like, you know, have you, you've, you've seen that it's pretty, I, I've seen some people where they've had, uh, they've bred uh, gammas um, and like the next generation isn't, isn't that same crazy yellow, but it seems like, um, you're having pretty good success with it. Is it all in, you know, the other carpet you're breeding it to? Is that what you're? I, I personally think it it it's a big part of it. I, I'm not gonna, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not a genetic guy or scientist. I'm gonna say like that. That's for sure. But I would say that if if you kind of want that yellow, I mean, if you breed a yellow snake to a yellow snake, you're, you're more than likely gonna end up with yellow snakes. And so I try to, you know breed it with, uh, you know, gammas to an animal that's pretty bright yellow or, or pretty awesome, or at least got a character trait that I'm looking for. Um, I've been lucky where I did try inner routes with a animal that was, you know, pretty ugly. And, and he, that clutch actually ended up being pretty damn cool. Uh, really? Bright yellow. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, I, I also, I mean, I'll knock on wood. I mean, I think I got lucky with their John. I mean, my first gamma female was actually, uh, not bright yellow at all. I mean, she was indeed a gamma. She came, she was, you know, pretty high up there on, on the generation chart there or mm-hmm. pretty low, whichever, whichever way you want to look at it. And, uh, but she just, she was kind of a pale yellow, uh, but she turned around and produced, you know, bright babies uh, that turned out to be, you know, pretty yellow. So, and there's a couple of them out there. I mean, I forgot who owns it, but there's a one that John had up on his website for a while called pale ale. Um, pale you know, ale, yeah. You know, she, yeah, because it wasn't bright yellow. It just had this pale kind of, you know, washed out yellow color. But you never know. Huh. I mean, you, you breed that thing to a pretty jungle or, or something else, and, and you can end up with babies. So for me, theoretically, yes. I would say if you want yellow snake, you know, breed to a, a A-grade or as close as you can get uh, to an A-grade jungle or something like that. I mean, that's another thing, too. I try not to breed it to anything that's got a bunch of other mixes into it either. Um, you know, for me, jungle corporate pythons have been awesome in getting that yellow to stick. Um, gotcha. You know, other people so, probably had some success as well with other stuff, but for me, I try to keep it to jungles um, as much as I can. Do you have any experience with breeding them back to diamond jungles? Like what's, not have yet, you, actually, have you done that? No. say that because I, I have not kept any of my uh, SIB offspring at all for the last four years. Um, I probably should looking at some of the pictures that some of these, People are saying that thing. Hey, look at this snake. Holy crap, I told you that. Yeah. But, uh, Damn it. Yeah, it, it's, it's actually for me, it's, it's been back to, uh, to jungles here. Actually, I'm kind of looking at my, my list here, what I bred back to you. And, yeah, it's, it's been all 
all, all jungles. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So that's nice. going to change in the future. I mean, I got some other stuff I'm kind of working on. Um, uh, but uh, you know, for the most part, it's been, you know, jungles bred back to gammas. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. What, I mean, so are you planning on uh, doing anything morph-wise with the gammas? I mean, other than, you know, obviously the jag, but I mean, anything like, I don't know, caramel or albino oh, or anything like what? that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Possibly caramel down the road because uh, it's, I probably have to blame it on you too, Eric, because <laughs> – I got these uh, granite zebras, and I, I wanted straight zebra granites. I didn't want them to have anything else. And then, you know, Philip Starkey from uh, Star Python's like, oh, well, I got one, but it, it's got caramel in it. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I don't want caramel. And somebody had said, hey, Eric's got a caramel zebra granite. I was like, really? So, I, you know, I actually looked up here and was like, oh, actually looks pretty damn cool. You know, it oh, doesn't yeah. look anything what I expected. <laughs> so I actually picked that one up from Philip, you know, and then I ended up getting another one from him as well. So possibly, you know, that, but, you know, I got to produce that zebra, super zebra granite first. But as far as yeah. horse, I mean, I, I, I got, I picked up an animal uh, that, you know, from Chad Quill, one of uh, Mike Curtin's oscillate uh, animals, uh, because Ooh. I wanted to kind of get that oscillate trade into it. I ended up jump starting out somehow, some way. I don't know how the hell this happened uh, with these crazy babies that I produced this year. But, um, you know, oscillate jungle, you know, gammas, uh, you know, I'd like to produce more of that regularly. And, and obviously the stripes uh, as much as I can and reduce patterns. So, uh, as far as the gammas are concerned, you know, morph-wise, I don't even know if you call them that. You know, I mean, so many people put their tag names on stuff, and mm-hmm. I don't think I'm that <laughs> – I haven't really that status yet where I can name my own snake. I just call it an ocelot because everybody else calls it an ocelot. So, um, right. That I'm working on. So, well, maybe we'll see. I got, I got kind of a jump start on the stripes and the ocelot this year. Uh, lucky, but we'll see what happens next year. Cool. Um, so, it seems like you're pretty focused on your projects. Um you know, have you thought about a particular project beforehand or has it just been, you know, I, I like this snake, I'm going to buy it. Like, you know, talk about maybe like how you build your projects around, you know, for instance, the, the, the diamond jungles Jags. Um, for, for the carpets now, I actually do kind of think about it and say, Hey, you know, what do I want to do? I mean, I, I um, danced around a little bit and picked up a couple of bread lie animals a couple of years ago. Uh, because I figured that could help me with the ocelot, you know, ocelot pattern on, on some of the stuff, um, along with Curtin's animals. And I, like, I know Curtin's animals don't have bread lie in them. And the bread lie stuff that I did, I mean, I, I got one of Jeff Flavel's, uh, you know, with a bread lie ocelot jags as well. And, you know, try to figure out the two and see if I can keep that pattern to keep it yellow. But I, I tend to do think about stuff before I actually get it. Uh, I have had mm-hmm. some some whim purchases, but those whim purchases have been snaked outside of carpets, actually. <laughs> so, huh. for, for the carpet oh, yeah. stuff, I, I, I kind of do put some thought into it a, l- a little bit, at least. Cool. I'm just curious. What's your, your purchase outside of carpets? I had some basins uh, from uh, Ed Marino, uh, which oh, okay. actually I sold those, actually, before I actually moved uh, here to Ohio. But uh, I, I picked up some... Uh, uh, some ground boas uh, just recently. I mean, those are pretty sweet. I've always liked those. Um, you know, I'll just keep those quiet, breed cool. them up, and if they they breed great, if not, they they look pretty damn cool. Right. Awesome. That's cool. Um, so, you know, it, 
while we're talking about adding stuff into your collection, you know, what do you, what do you look for? Is lineage? Is it the breeder? Is it the more for a specific look? Like what do you go after? Or is it all of that? I think it's a little bit of all of that uh, when it comes down to it. I mean, like right now I, I'm, you know, looking for, you know, nice jungle carpet pythons. Um, I do want to build up my, you know, pure, if you want to call it that, uh, jungle carpet python collection a bit. Just, I mean, to be, to, believe it or not, I'm more excited about having jungle carpet python babies than I am, have been about the gammas the past couple of years. So, right. for whatever reason. But uh, I think it's a combination of all those things, really. I mean, I've, I've seen some animals like, hey, I'm not going to buy anything. Um, but like, for example, I, you know, I went to Tinley this in March, and I, and I went there to, to pick up an animal from Philip. And I ended up mm-hmm. coming out of there with, with two animals, which I had no, you know, reason to buy. I just thought, like, holy crap, these things are awesome looking. And, yeah, sure, I can fit them into the plan. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, get get some good stuff out of these animals. So, you know how it is. I, I think we're all the same when it comes to that. You know, you walk into a show, you for one thing, you walk out with three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. So, yeah. You know, explain, explain that to the wife. Like, well, honey, you know what happened? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's always a good talk. Um, uh, you know, I, I was looking at your uh, your page, um, and this crazy, I, I'm assuming this was the one you were talking about earlier, but um, it's kind of like, well, when it hatched out, it, like, had a funky pattern, and those, uh, uh, I guess this is the ocelot thing you were talking about, right? Right. Okay. So I got wow. three of those actually. Three of this. Okay. So this clutch was the weirdest clutch ever, actually. So there, there were 20 eggs, uh, and this was a striped gamma diamond jungle jag bred to a, you know, what the assumption is it's a pure zebra. Uh, it came from lineage. I've got lineage back up on it, and it comes from a reputable person, um, whole nine yards. So my and the goal was to one get some striped animals out of that, and then get some more uh, gamma zebra jags. Um, that can kind of, you know, toss around the collection. And what popped out was this. Now, out of those 20 eggs, one of the eggs perished right away, so I had 19 eggs left. I got four mm-hmm. sets of twins out, out oh, of this, Jesus. you know, this clutch. Uh, the jag set, there were three jag uh, sets of twins. They all perished in the egg for whatever reason. I mean, maybe it's because they're jags and because, you know, one was kind of dominant over the other. And, you know, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. Um, mm-hmm. And the other uh, twins were, were, were sibs. Um, but out came these you know, crazy <laughs> striped, opposite looking animals. And and this is gonna this is the kicker here. There were absolutely no zebras in the entire clutch. <laughs> oh wow. Oh now whether or not whether or not that one egg uh could have been a zebra, who knows? I mean I, I posted up uh, hey do you ever have a zebra and, and get absolutely no zebras on there and I was told by the guys that uh, know their stuff on genetics that it's virtually impossible but you know here are the odds and it's pretty slim. Um, so I just kind of left it alone at that point. But, you know, this kind of jump-started my whole stripe slash oscillate thing that I, I figured it would take me another two or three years to produce. Whether or not these guys will produce like this again, who knows? We'll see. I mean, two of them are females and one's a male, so obviously the male will be ready first. And mm-hmm. I'll try them out. Um, and I'm going to do this pairing again, you know, this this coming season at the end of this year. Um, so we'll see what happens. But that was kind of, kind of a total shock. The stripes I expected, the oscillate markings on it, you know, I don't know. And – Listening to Mike Curtin talk about his animals, he feels that the oscillate, at least for his animals, came from the jungle side. So it could be, you know, maybe that's one of those things where the jungle gene produces um, oscillate type markings 
uh, on a couple because the the mom, the dam, the gamma jack, she's got you know one circle on her maybe her entire body. So <laughs> right. <laughs> um, wow. You know who, who knows what these things? But uh, I was right. pretty stoked. I mean, I, I, needless to say, it was a complete shock. I was like, oh my god. And you know, half the jags uh, show some form of striping on them, and, and a lot of them show some form of oscillant. Even the sibs, the sibs have even oscillant type markings on them. So it's, it was a pretty bizarre clutch. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, those, those three, you you have a picture with the three of them on there, and it's, wow, they are amazing, man. They're going to be killer as adults. Yeah, I mean, um, hopefully those things turn out super bright yellow. I'll just, man, I I'll probably won't leave the snake room. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and you're going to repeat the pairing. So yes. you could repeat the pairing and get, like, half the clutch be zebras or something like that. So, like. That's the weird part and part that's kind of funny every time you do those repeat pairings is uh, you almost expect to get the same thing, but you can have completely opposite results with the offspring that you had previously. <laughs> right. So, oh, yeah. No stripes and all zebras. No stripes, all zebras. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> wait a minute. How did this happen? This is some bullshit. Um, so, yeah. So, with all this, uh, you know, with you trying to strive for making the most you know, as yellow as you can get on a snake. Do you look for anything in the babies that gives you any kind of indication that one's going to be brighter than the other as far as the yellow goes? For for me, the ones that are almost, um, I don't want to say they're, they're white, but they're really, really very light gray uh, when they shed out, uh, tend to get yellow faster. I mean, I've had some of these babies, uh, some of the pictures that I have up there, uh, as a matter of fact, the one that's my cover page, if you look at the, the you know, the, my uh, Facebook page, that was a yearling. That thing was that yellow at six months of age. I mean, it, it just shot quick. So any ones wow. that are light, light pattern uh, like that, I, you know, for my experience on the ones that I've had that, it turned yellow fast. Um, and that's been from my very first clutch all, all the way up until, you know, this year. And any of the ones that have sort of a, uh, like a darkish gray kind of, uh, color kind of outlining their bands or, or their stripes if they have those. Those tend to yellow up quite nicely as well, which, you know, um, I've seen very few of my, a couple of guys have sent me, you know, over the last four years, pictures like, hey, this thing isn't coloring up as quick as yours, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, let's give it time. You ultimately end up coloring up and there are different shades of that yellow as well. I mean, some of the gammas tend to have that orangey kind of yellow tint. I mean, you're still bright, but it's, just, it's a tad bit of tint of an orange. Other ones are just like a fluorescent light bulb. It's just can't even catch it in pictures. It's just odd. Um, but I try to look for the light colored ones um, first, and those are the ones that I feel are going to turn yellow faster. Um, and then the ones that have that kind of a shady kind of color outlining their their bands or, or their stripe, if you will, those, you know, those color mice as well. But usually, you know, when they when they shed, you can actually see a hint of yellow on their face first. They tend to, for me, tend to get yellow on the head first, and then they kind of travel along their body. So I'll look at gotcha. that too, you know, and, and, and one of the things I try to do is if I'm going to sell them, I try to sell them as quick as I can because if they start turning <laughs> yellow, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be real hard to let these things go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain, man. I feel your pain for sure. All right, cool. You can't keep them all, unfortunately. Otherwise, you become no, Eric. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes, I yeah, can. Right. Watch me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show you. Right. You, got the, you, got, you, got, you got the one person on the one side and the one person on the other side, right? It's like, sell them. You're the one like, no, no, keep them. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Keep them all. Yeah. Right. But believe it or not, actually, I, I, a, lot, a lot of people think that I have, you know, I, I hoard them all, but, but I don't actually. I've kept very few uh, out of each clutch that I've hatched, actually. My first gamma clutch, I sold them all, actually. Yeah. I keep one of them. Actually, I kept one up until uh, two years, and I ended up selling that guy. But I, I sold my uh, pick of the litter <laughs> the, uh, the first week when they were ready, and it kind of went downhill from there. So I've only kept kind of the oddball ones out of each clutch. Well, yeah, that's that's a given. You always keep the funky looking ones. I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of yours. So, um, so I guess what would be uh, your approach to breeding, and what would you say is the most important part of having success with breeding carpets? Because I know everyone sits there and says they're insanely easy, and you can breed them by accident, but you have to also be good good enough to get consistent breeding. So what would you say is your approach in, for that? For me, I just try to stay consistent. I can with the plan. And usually I, I, I make sure that I can cool the females and the males down. Um, I, I tend to think that it's more important to cool the males down as opposed you know, the, to the females. Uh, that's just been my experience. Um, but, you know, I, I cool them exactly the same time every year. Living in Ohio has been a, been awesome for me because in California, for me, you know, where I had my sinks, it's a bit hard to keep, you know, things cool. But here, it's, it's been easy. So, I'll start cooling them down, uh, you know, right around Thanksgiving, actually. And uh, not the diamonds, but, the, you know, the regular carpets, I'll start mm-hmm. cooling them down then. And, um, you know, I had two degrees every week up until, you know, until they get down to 70 degrees. I'll let them sit there for a week at 70, and then I'll slowly raise it back up two degrees every week. Um, you know, and then I start pairing them up. Um, but, but it's worked for me, you know, just doing it that way. I'll, like I said, I start in, uh, you know, mid-November, right around Thanksgiving, cooling down every two, deg- two degrees every week until mm-hmm. I get to the lowest that I want to be, and then raising them up after a week, two degrees. Uh, and then so far, so good. It's worked. So I, I just kind of stick with that. I mean, I've heard, heard, heard people say, hey, just throw them in there and keep them all year long and they'll breed. And it's worked for a couple of people that, you know, very well-known breeders. But I just, you know, I don't know. You, when something works, you never want to, like, take a chance and try something completely different. <laughs> I'm just kind of stuck with that. That's one page that I kept out of, the, you know, the book. I was like, okay, that's how you read it. I think I actually got that from that book, Dr. Richard Ross. Right. Um, but uh, I've stuck with that and it's worked out well. So I'll, awesome. I'll feed the females actually uh, – smaller mills more frequently uh probably starting in september uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that they have enough uh, fat stores uh, especially if i've bred them the year prior um i'll make sure that they get some extra feed uh, prior to me cooling stuff down because you know i've had one female out of all the females that i've had eat all the way through cooling and everything else that I, I will offer and that's kind of like my indicator that if they don't take their food then cool you know everything's right on track but i've had this one jungle that was She's like, you can give me food, whether it's 70 degrees in here or 90, dude. I don't care. <laughs> I'll eat it. Yeah. So yeah. can you, uh, can you kind of walk us through, um, your season beginning to end? So like it, you said, you start your cool down in November, but you feed during the summertime. You said you said you kind of feed a little bit heavier for the girls. Uh, what about the boys? September? I start feeding them more okay. frequently, and, but smaller meals. Um, okay. So instead of them, if they eat medium rats, instead of feeding medium rats every two weeks, I'll feed them a small rat every week uh, up until I'm ready to start dropping the temperature. That's just, for me, it just kind of, it's uh, I don't even know where I read that or where I got that from, but I figured it just gives them a bit more fat stores. And in case everyone's a new maternal uh, incubation, I haven't done that yet, but 
Um, I've had a couple snakes come out of uh, breeding where it's like, holy crap, man, these suckers are skinny. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and also too, I think uh, you know, it's one of the things that I either again, I don't know whether I picked it up from reading a book or, or heard it from somebody on one of the forums or something, but you know, if they're at size and they're and they're mature, I mean, you know, another way to make sure they're going to produce some good obium and, and pass those things over for fertilization is to make sure they have enough fat stores to actually carry them through. Right. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, from the get-go, I started giving them smaller and frequent meals. So the meals eat once a month, um, sometimes, you know, twice a month, you know, the regular time. Uh, in October, uh, or sorry, in November, I'll just stop feeding the meals, period, whether they want to eat or not. Um, and, but the females, again, if, I, if they feel like they're going to eat, uh, I'll let them have a small meal. If not, then I consider that my indicator that they're good to go. Awesome. So you start your cool down, you, you take them down two degrees until so you get down to 70 and then you start bringing them back up and you, do you put boys in with girls during the warm up, or you wait until everybody's fully warmed up? Uh, you know, I actually, in the first couple of years of breeding, I, I waited until everybody was fully warmed up. Um, mm-hmm. This actually year, I think also actually last season as well too. Once I started warming them back up, I put them together then. Um, and I had some locks early. I, mean, I ended up with some early clutches last year. Um, and this year as well too. So I'm not sure if that was, uh, something <laughs> that everybody else does, but, but, it, but it seemed to work, uh, this year as well. So, I mean, I did change that up a bit. Nice. So, um, obviously you get the pairings and you get the locks and everything like that. Do you, do you feed once everybody's warmed up or do you just kind of let everybody do what they're going to do and feed after everyone's finished? Last year and, and, and years prior, I, I fed. Uh, if they ate, I'd separate everybody and let them eat. Uh, but the past two years, I didn't. Um, I'd let them stay locked up. And, and, and actually, the reason why I started doing that is because uh, I think last year when I started, I tried to feed a couple of the males and they just refused to eat. So I was like, well, it's no point in, you know, giving them live food and having to toss it or to somebody else. Or, you know, and, and then this year, you know, refreezing, you know, frozen thoughts. So if they wouldn't eat, I just kind of left them alone. And same thing with the females. If they felt like they had enough fat stores and were good to go, I just left them. So I didn't actually, this last year and this year, I didn't feed anybody until uh, the males, until after I pulled them out completely from the females. And, and the females, if they were gravid, then obviously they didn't eat until they uh, uh, dropped eggs. Awesome. So once you get the eggs, um, what's the next step? So, um, how do you set up your eggs and what do you do? I bought uh, some, uh, con- some Sims containers uh, last year, before the last year's season, and those things tend to work good for me. I was using, you know, Sterlite boxes, which I, I got a story about that, which ironically, the first couple of seasons, they worked fine. I didn't have any problems with them at all. But then, of course, you know, you're reading and you're kind of like listening to what other people do and so, you know, airtight containers. And so I tried these guys out last year and it worked out great. I bought some more for this season. So um, usually I, 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 always caught these clutches when they're completely adhered together and females all curled up nice and tight. So obviously I'm not going to be separating the eggs. So I just grab that entire clutch, throw them in a sim box. I use a 50, 50 mixture of perlite and vermiculite. Um, right. You know, I, I weigh it. I use uh, 1.5 times for water amount, seal those suckers up and, and throw them in there. I, my incubator temp is at uh, 89 degrees. Um, and, you know, just, just let them cook. I did have my diamond python laid eggs this year, especially, so I actually had caught them in time. Like they were all separated. So I actually used the little racks and rails that they have in the sim containers and oh, nice. lined them all up perfectly, you know, one after a single. It actually looks pretty cool. It's kind of like a photo op, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, I've always caught these suckers when I'm laying 
when I'm going to work and by the time I get back home or something like that, then these things are all curled up and adhere to each other. So uh, this is the first time this year that I've actually had some eggs that they were not adhered to each other yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody gets kind of the same incubation temp, 89 degrees, obviously, because, uh, you know, I only have one incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whenever they hatch out, I, I've had some eggs uh, from those sim containers hatch out. Last year I had eggs at 44 days, actually. Wow. This year, I think because of my anticipation, these suckers did not hatch until the 55th day. I was like, what the hell? Come on, guys. You know, you're staring at your incubator. And again, you know, this is the nature that we're dealing with. I think at times you can kind of govern what's going to happen, but they took their time, but they popped out on the 55th day so far. That's awesome. So uh, now I've only ever used my, I have one sim container that I use for my collier bridge, and I just kind of show them in there. But do you do the sponge method, or is they over this suspended with water, or what do they over top? No, I, I, I put uh, you know my fifty fifty vermiculite perlite mix in there. Um, okay. I I have heard people use sponges or water. I haven't tried that yet. I think it was just a creature habit. You know, my first eggs that I that I hatched out were over perlite vermiculite mix, and I just kind of continue with that. Right. Um, I, you know, honestly, I think the important factor is just that you have humidity in there, high humidity, and keep your temps uh, consistent. So to be honest, it probably doesn't matter. But uh, you know, if you yeah. sure have it, I, I just continue to use it. Okay. Um, and have you learned? Have you have any learning experiences with your incubation? Something you could help uh, a newer person or a newbie kind of be successful? Like, what advice would you give them? For me, keep your your egg container tight. It's tightly okay. sealed. Um, I I had a bad experience with poking holes uh, in there, thinking that it was going to create uh, some airflow. Mm-hmm. I know guys that do it and have been completely successful at doing it. For me, uh, it just didn't work. I ended up you know killing a bunch of eggs uh, because of that. So I keep these things super tight. Um, as much that's one of the reasons why I went with Sim because they stay tight. I mean, you can go and buy. You know, stuff at the grocery store, I think, and, and those are super tight. But these, are, you know, you've used them. They, they're roomy. That you know, there seems to be enough air ventilation. I do check the eggs, and actually, we'll open the lid from time to time. If there's any kind of condensation on the lid, I'll wipe that down. Um, yeah. So they do get kind of that kind of air transfer at that point. Um, I'll do that once a week until they're hatched. But uh, you know, any, any advice I can give, um, you know, keep your get an incubator that's sealed tight and, and has some airflow in it in itself. Uh, and it has a constant temperature, um, and just keep uh, some airtight egg boxes. Okay. And don't worry. <laughs> and don't worry, yeah. Don't check on them every two seconds. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, you know, it's not that hard We've to all do. made mistakes doing that as well. Just, you know, let nature take its place. That was the reason somebody's post. It's like, yeah, yeah. I forgot I had eggs in the incubator. I don't know how that No, happened. that was, you know, it's... Mike. That's, uh, probably, was, that's probably a good way to look at it, though, right? Because if you yeah. keep looking in there, you're just going to drive yourself nuts. It is. And, and the problem is, like, listen, your first two clutches... Time will crawl, and it will take forever. When you're on your, like, 14th or 15th, it's like, oh, yeah, and then they're coming out of the egg. So it's it's a lot better that way. Um, yep. I remember having – I was talking to Mike Curtin at the last uh, White Plains show, and he told me that a bunch of uh, eggs had just hatched for him, and he was like, oh, yeah, I forgot they were – totally forgot they were in the incubator. I'm like, you know <laughs> – I should check on those. And he's like, I'm like, yeah. And then what? He's like, I opened the bin and they were hatching. I'm like, oh, good thing you checked. So yeah, totally can happen. <laughs> you know, and I remember my first clutch of California king snake eggs. 
I was checking them so often that a friend of mine duct taped the bin closed so I could stop checking on them. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just how that goes. Uh, but that is something there. So now, little ones hatch. What are we doing? Uh, I will keep them together on some wet paper towel uh, in, a, in one of the six-quart tubs in, in the rack for probably a day or two, and then I'll uh, – and, and actually, honestly, the only reason why I do that is probably to cut all the, uh, you know, the fencing and get all their water bowls set up, and then I separate them. Um, right. I'm sure you guys have heard horror stories where yeah. hungry uh, babies <laughs> will, will eat each other. Um, yeah. And for the first couple of seasons, or first season at least for sure, I, I did keep them in there for a long time together until they actually start shedding, to be honest with you. Then I think I read that and I was like, oh crap, that'd be, that would suck. You know, I got your jewel in there and, you know, one of the sibs eats one of your gammas. Just like, what the hell? <laughs> the, so the ugly, uh, ugly you know, sib eats the gamma. Yeah, that would happen. Right. <laughs> be horrible. So, uh, you know, for, for this year, once they hatched out, and you know, I kept them on paper towel, I think for that day all together and then I just separate them because I had the racks and everything already set up and just, you know, put them in their own deal and let them get comfy. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it easier too. I, I, I try to sex them as soon as I pull them out of the incubator tub. Right. Um, so, you know, I knew what was what and, and who was who and stuck them all in there. And so far so good. You know, I haven't had any issues uh, doing that at all. So um, I'll let them shed and uh, I don't try feeding or anything until they get their first shed. I'll keep that, tub uh, as high humidity as I possibly can, which means a soaked paper towel for the entire time. <clears throat> and then once they shed out, I'll keep them just like my normal carpets and, and the humidity stays, you know, if they dump over their water bowl, it's kind of like, you know, great it rain that day. So now you've got some humidity, but I don't do anything kind of drastic uh, as far as their upkeep once they shed out. Right. So now the fun begins, right? <laughs> so feed trials. Now you said you did, live exclusively was that also with the babies as well yes um so this year has been pr- a bit trying i, I right yeah. off the bat you know i, I went out got some guys had some frozen stuff and some of them took right away some of them i call like a blair witch because like you know i tease them a little bit and they you know we're just like not having it so i was like all right so i just put the <laughs> frozen frozen rat pup you know or rat pink in there come back an hour later and it's gone i was like the hell <laughs> yeah it's not even hot you know and they, but they took it, you know, and I tried again the next week, and bam, they, they took it right off the tongue. So I'm like, sweet. But a couple other ones just refused, and so I, I did get all of some live stuff and just tried those. Um, historically, uh, which some people say, hey, that's horrible. I don't do that, blah, blah, blah. But if an animal is not going to eat for me, you know, over, over the three week after they shed or up to a month, I actually will assist feed uh, pinky mice. Uh, to get them going. For me, that's actually worked to actually get them to say, oh, shit, am I supposed to really eat? Okay, cool. Yeah. Next I'm couple of times, that. you know, yeah. uh, high percentage of them, it's like, okay, uh, I understand. I'll start eating now. Um, there's been very few animals where I've assist fed, you know, more than once. A couple of them I have. A couple of them I've had turned into adults and bred for me. So uh, I will assist feed after uh, a month or so just to kind of get some food in their belly and get them started. But for the most part, I've done a heavy dose of uh, teething. Um, or cupping them even. I mean, that, that's worked for a couple of them as well, where I've cupped them and put a live hopper or something like that in there, and they'll get irritated and eat. You know, and yeah. get to the realization, like, oh, yeah, this, this thing isn't my buddy. It's food. <laughs> you know how it is, right? You walk into a snake room, and, you know, your snake's curled up with a live rat like like, like, like their pals. You know, what the hell, guys? Come on. Yeah. it's They're like, oh, no, no, we're good. It's even worse. Um, when I had the Dominican boas, you had to put geckos in there. So you open the bin to see if the uh, boa had eaten and a gecko comes like jumping onto your chest. You're like, Jesus Christ. So, you know, it's, <laughs> that was even worse. So right. it, 
that would be things. So um, now, uh, when you do your free trials and like out of your percentages, uh, would you say that the live was easier? Did you get more of a percentage to eat the live offering after the shed compared to the frozen thought? Like now that you're on this whole shift, like which was yeah, so, easier? So far, so far for me, the, the, the live has been a heck of a lot easier. Um, okay. Obviously, because, you know, if, a lot of times if I tried to feed them that night, you know, off tongs, teasing them, they didn't take it, I'd dump it in the tub, and you know, next morning, you know, let's say half of them would be gone. The other half right. wouldn't be gone, so I'd cup those. You know, half of those cup ones would be gone the day after or the night after. So it was a lot easier for me personally to, to do the live stuff. But, um, you know, it just takes a bit more time uh, for me to, to tease uh, with the frozen thaw stuff. I mean, a lot of you guys do it all the time anyway, so I certainly not, can't complain about it because we've got snakes and we love them. Right. But, uh, for me, it, it's just kind of a, a transition for me personally. I mean, I think the snakes don't care either way, and it is what it is. I mean, if you, if you end up giving them a frozen thawed first thing, that that's what they're going to be used to. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. it's a thing, basically a personal thing for me personally, you know, as, as a keeper. <laughs> that's the, the biggest hurdle. Um, Easy is always the better way to go, in my opinion. So, And yeah. I do frozen thawed, and right now I got three babies that are being holdouts for me right now, which I know I'm going to have to break down and go get some live for them to try to get them to eat. So it's one of those things. Um, so now I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, picking your holdbacks. I know you said you look for like the interesting bright one, but how do you go about picking your holdbacks? You know, what do you look for aside from color and, uh, how long do you hold them back before you're willing to be like, all right, get out of here? Uh, p- pattern, I think, for me, uh, with the gammas at least, um, is, is what I look for. So if I'm going for that trait and, and like the stripe stuff, you know, I, I hold all those back um, in, in hopes of growing them up and then, you know, putting them back into, into the mix and then getting some more so I can actually say, okay, yeah, this works. And I, I can actually do this consistently and then I'll, I'll sell them. Yeah, that's about it, to be honest with you. I mean, Gamma is going to, for me, you're going to get what you're going to get. You're going to get a yellow snake at the end of the day, in my opinion. Right. Um, and so if I'm, you know, like I wrote a list of the, the clutches or, you know, the pairings that I had. So I actually wrote down, all right, you know, uh, the joint pairing that I did with Vito, I, I put down, what am I going to keep? You know, one stripe Gamma female out of that one. You know, the, the stripe Gamma to, to the zebra, what am I going to keep? Well, I put any stripe animals and then a zebra jag if it hatches out. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I, I, I pre, you know, set myself up to say this is the only thing I'm keeping because obviously, you know, I, I govern by how much room I got, how much tanks I got mm-hmm. as well. You know, I can always go out and buy some new tanks, but it's like I, I want to keep my collection kind of small and, and as, you know, high quality as I get it. I mean, I could keep every one of them if I could, but, you know, it just it doesn't work out that way. So for me, it's if I'm working on a trait, I'll try to keep whatever pops out with that particular trait. Um, and then if none of them pop out that way, I'll just kind of keep the best out of that clutch as far as pattern is concerned. And uh, sell the rest up. Now, I have, after a while, even if they have been yellow, I mean, it's been very few, but I've had a couple of gammas that I've sold that, you know, were two-year-old, two-year-olds, uh, and were awesome, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I kind of look at, like, well, I've got uh, X amount of males. All these males are going to be ready. Well, I can just stick with these, you know, three, per se, and, and not have a fourth or fifth. So I'll go ahead and sell these off and, and give them to somebody who might want to get into gammas. Awesome. Doesn't happen too often, but <laughs> no, no. And dude, and, and you know, dude, going for holdbacks, you could totally pick the one, and then 
somebody's baby that you sold that you were like that that's ugly can like show up again online as like a badass animal and you can still kick yourself. So, uh, you know. dude, I, I sold an animal a couple of years ago and, and well, my, my, my pick of the litter, my first gamma clutch, I, you know, I, I sold that to, to Vito, you know, Giannani, you know, right away. And he sent me a picture like four months in and things like already turning yellow. I'm like, Oh man, crap. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. You know, of course <laughs> next year I have another one that's pretty reduced. I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't think it'll be that great. I haven't got one that's better. Of course, I get a, you know, hey, check it out. This is the mail I got for me. I'm like, shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It but does. it's cool, though. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool for me to, to, you know, somebody else send me an email or a message or a text or whatever and say, hey, here's the animal I got for you. Check it out. I'm like, oh, my God, that thing is awesome. So that, that does actually make me feel good. And it's pretty cool. You know, one of the things that I learned from one of the guys actually that I got entered John from, I didn't even ask him. I, I said, dude, why are you selling the snake? He's like, you know, I can't keep everything myself. And I'd like to see other people yeah. have the same enjoyment with this snake that I had with it. And so, you know, even though I do keep <laughs> some of the, the cool, cool stuff, eventually some of the stuff's going to start pouring out, you know, other, other stuff pops up, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll be in the gammas, maybe forever, maybe not, you know, but, sooner or later, you know, these things are going to get popped out there and pushed out. And it's just kind of cool to see other people have it and do some cool stuff with it. I mean, John Battaglia said the same thing to me. He's like, it's really cool to see some of the stuff you're doing this gamma stuff. And I'm like, man, I appreciate that. And, you know, thank you. And I turn around and say the same thing to somebody else. Like, oh man, you're breeding after that. Awesome. That's going to be sweet. Put me on the list, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So we're going to talk about some diamond pythons. Uh, we don't get to talk about them all that often on the show and uh, very underrated Python in my opinion, but let's talk about your collection. You said you had 1.3. Are you working with certain bloodline or what's, what's... You know, I, I, so, you know, bloodline, I, I mean, I, I bought an adult pair from uh, Matt Patterson a couple years ago. Uh, the Mel's uh, Stardust Diamond, you know, from Cypress Creek uh, blood and the females from uh, uh, Gary Vale. And, uh, mm-hmm. And actually, those aren't even the first two diamonds. But the first diamond I bought actually was a reduced pattern from uh, I got it uh, from Michael Islam. You know, you know Chris uh, Bayhoff was bringing some animals out from Canada, and I saw that and I was like, oh man, I got such awesome diamond. And it took me forever to to get into diamonds. I was like, dude, I, I just I'm not going to be able to keep those things properly. I can't cool them down. You know, it's a lot of money for a snake. And what do you what do you mean you got to drop it down to the 50s? No way. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot and see what I can do. So I bought the uh, female as a baby, the reduced pattern from uh, from Michael. And then uh, I got that adult pair from uh, from Matt Patterson. And, of course, you know, I was flooding those guys with questions and, you know, what is. And, you know, the, the first year, actually, I paired up the diamonds, you know. I said, so, like, seriously, you don't want me to stop feeding this thing and don't feed it until the end of March, beginning of April? And 50 degrees? What are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you know, reluctantly you did. I was like one of those people where you keep staring into your snake cage like, is it alive? Like, should I poke it? You know, like, what's yeah. going on with it? Um, and I ended up not, you know, I had a, it was a horrible clutch last year. She, she you know, dropped uh, 18 duds um, last year. So, of course, you know, there goes, like, shit. I knew I shouldn't have bought these things. I you know, I'm, I'm not doing them any good. I should have left them where they're at. Um, but I think at that time, you know, and that's one of the reasons, not one of the reasons why I'm happy with Ohio, but it's beneficial for them is that I cannot get them as cool as they probably should have been. I mean, I got them down to the low 60s, which, you know, thinking back, I probably should have just not tried to breed them at all, um, knowing that I probably couldn't get them down. I mean, I figured, I've, I've heard some people get them down in the 60s and had success with them. You know, I gave it a shot. It just didn't work out. This year, I actually was able to get it into the mid-50s, um, 
and it, it worked out great. I mean, she dropped 22 eggs, four of them were done, but 18 of them were good. Um, so, you know, it's the start of, you know, possibly some, some you know, more diamonds coming my way. You know, maybe I'll go and purchase some more, or, you know, raise some of these babies up. But um, they're interesting, you know, animal. They're, they're pretty sweet. I mean, I really like them. I've liked them forever. But just, again, with all the myths and stories behind keeping them, um, it just kind of held me back for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right, so you talked a little bit about your temperatures and stuff. So what's your what's your husbandry with diamond pythons that differs from your regular carpet pythons throughout the regular year? Um, so, so as I mentioned, I have them, uh, I have all my adults and, and sub-adults on those uh, ProTech cages, which are all, you know, you got your heat panel on the top of each cage, which from the second to the bottom cage up, all of them get heat transfer from that heat panel, right? So I keep mm-hmm. the diamonds on the bottom because there is no heat panel on the bottom. So they, their only heat source is from that reading heat panel and the light when it cuts on. And so I'll keep them actually at a, at a you know, their, their hot spot is probably about 88 degrees. And then overall their tank drops to 84 and then the gradient all the way over. And so they don't get any uh, bottom transfer heat. Um, and, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the only difference, I think, during the regular season that I keep them in. Tab bit lower temperature with no bottom heat at all. No, no heat transfer, uh, which, you know, I don't know, does that make them arboreal? Because they'll perch up on their on their branches that I have in there, um, get closer to the heat panel, more so where some of the other carpets, if I give them that opportunity, they won't. Um, I don't know if that's something that has to do with just diamonds or, or not, but, uh, you know, these, you know, three uh, perch up like that. So uh, other than that, I mean, I'll feed them exactly the same um, and during the regular season um, as well. Or Sorry, the regular year outside of breeding season. Um so nothing too much different other than that. I mean, I think heat's the only thing I, I do differently with them. I just don't allow them to have that heat transfer. And I purposely did put them all on the bottom um, in doing so. Okay. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I noticed that – I did notice in your pictures when I was flipping through that you had a picture of the diamond, and it was, like, on this branch, and it was, like, right underneath the heat battle. And I was, you know, the, have you noticed any, like, other basking – behaviors as far as them as I mean when it clicks on in the day do you see them come right out um, you know they, they, a lot of times they'll stay on the cool end uh, for, for the most part which you know again I, I, I figure these these guys know what they're doing uh, they like what they like and they're, and they're going to move to wherever side of the tank that they want to uh, the male actually bask more than the females do during the regular part of the year um, he's always up on the perch and I always butt it right up against that heat panel. Um, which, you know, again, it's, it said like after I've had these things for a couple of years, I'm like, you know, I'm going to get some, some higher arboreal, you know, cages for all three of them um, and give them kind of more of a, a gradient so they can kind of one move around more. The tend they're a little bit heavier bodied than the rest of my carpets that I have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, keep them different that way. But I mean, the male does bath more than the, uh, than the females do uh, the one, at least the ones that I have. Um, hmm. Interesting, but I, I haven't really noticed anything kind of oddball about them. And I, again, I keep them just like normal carpet during the regular time anyway. Aside from that, not having that heat transfer in the bottom. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, what's your approach to breeding them? I mean, obviously you're cooling down. Just like I'm assuming, with they hit the same time frame, right? As your other carpet. Uh, 
they're a little bit earlier actually uh, that, that I did this year. So last year, believe it or not, to be honest with you, I can't even remember when I started. I'm probably even started putting them, uh, or you know, season before last, along with mm-hmm. weather carpets and, and mid November. But I think this year actually, uh, I started actually cooling them down uh, right around Halloween. Actually, I just I just stopped feeding them. Said that's it, and I started basically. And oh, so with my other carpets, actually, when when I do the uh, the, the temperature drop. I don't worry about the mm-hmm. lights or anything like that. I mean, the lights still pop on at the same time and, and stuff like that, and it's, it's still pretty much a 12-12 kind of cycle. For the diamonds, actually, I kind of reduced their their their, their photogenic time as well with the lights. I I, I would cut the basically cut the heat off. I did drop it down, you know, probably a higher degrees per per week. I did it, I think, four or five degrees per uh, per week. Um, mm-hmm. Then I also kept reducing the time there, so they basically only had about. Uh, six hours of daylight and heat at the peak or at the middle of that uh, cooling period. Um, and the rest of the time, the heat was completely off. Uh, and still, so, and it got okay. down to, you know, in that room, it got down, you know, ambient air temperature in their cage as well to, you know, 56, 57 degrees. And so they sat, you know, for a good portion <laughs> of their, their, their nighttime and part of the day at that temp. And then the heat would pop on for six hours at the, at the you know, the middle of that time period. So I kept that on, you know, end of October all the way until the uh, end of March, and I started uh, raising the heat back up then. Um, okay. So once it got up to, you know, you know, I don't know, mid-70s for, for a daytime high, along with the lights as well, I started kind of backing up the time again. I started making it to from a six-hour daytime to eight-hour, and then eventually got back all the way back up to 12. But I didn't start feeding them again until I got back up to 70 degrees. I mean, I was concerned that if I kept them at a cool temperature that – they wouldn't be able to properly digest their food. Um, mm-hmm. Even if I did have the heat on for a while, so I didn't feed them until it got up to about 75 degrees ambient air temperature, not including that hot spot. Um, gotcha. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty scary for me because, I mean, like I said, I, this is my first couple of years with diamonds. You know, I have a snake that, one, <laughs> kept at 50-some-odd degrees, you know, for, what is that, four months. <laughs> like, well, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is crazy. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? But, it's uh, hard to... It's hard to get used to that. Like, uh, I have my diamonds in a separate room, and it gets cold in there. And it's just like, this just doesn't feel right. It must be, like, freezing. But they're ready to eat, man. You know? It's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, you know, that, that's one thing that was pretty gnarly is that they were all completely psychotic the entire time, you know? And one thing, too, that I wanted to note, so the adults, I kept that way. The, the uh, two-year-old, she's two years old or three years old now. The first year that I cooled her down, I actually cooled her down for only three months. Um, I think I got that tip from, like, uh, Greg Heim. I think he had posted somewhere that, uh, you know, yearlings or up to a yearling, he'll keep them like a normal carpet. Uh, after mm-hmm. that, he'll kind of cool them down, but he'll shorten that, that cooling time period down a little bit because they're, they're so small. So this was the first year that I actually cooled a three-year-old down like, like an adult. Um, and she actually grew, which, which was bizarre. Um, yeah. She didn't eat the whole time, but, you know, at the time he eat, I was like, damn, it's like he's like eaten already and gotten bigger and thicker. I was like, well, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I, I just re- refer back to you. This is nature, and they, and they know what they're doing. And as long as you kind of mimic as close as you can to, you know, what they're used to, you know, they're good to right. go. Cool. Um, so you you have a clutch still in the incubator, or did your diamond satch out yet? No, they they don't do the hatch out until summer. I mean, that's kind of the summer thing about diamonds too. Most most of my uh, or all of the carpets hatch, you know, right around the same time. Uh, you know, May maybe in June. I got one more clutch of regular carpets uh, hatching out, 
any day now. But the Diamonds won't right. count until sometime in uh, July. Okay. Yeah. All right. So do you approach – you don't approach the eggs any differently, right? Just regular right in no, the incubator like yeah. your other carpets, right? Okay. And they're just sitting in there with everybody else. <laughs> cool. Um, now you talk talk to me next year when they don't hatch out, and I'm like, yeah, guys, I, I switched that up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. So so like, if somebody wants to get into diamonds and they're afraid, you know, what would be because of the stuff that they've heard? What would be your advice to them? That's the number one thing that that somebody has to pay attention to when it comes to diamond pythons. I, I would say make sure that you can actually get your temperature lower in the winter. I mean, even whether you breed them or not, I, I think it's been proven that diamond pythons have to go through that winter period in order to survive longer than, you know, four or five, six years. I mean, yeah, I remember the time where and that was a thing too that stopped me as well. He had these diamonds with this IBD disease, I think it's called, that uh, would just end up cringing up and dying on them early, you know, uh, because they kept them like oh. regular carpets and didn't necessarily cool them down. So I think it's very important that if you are going to get them, it just ensure that you can cool them down during their winter period, whether they're going to breed them or not, you know, whether you get one, two, you know, two males, two females, just make sure that you can actually cool them down uh, for that winter period because that's, that's just how they're built. Um, yeah. It, they have to go through it. it. It's funny that you mentioned it because they have a pair of diamonds and my female is a little bit older than my male. And uh, she's now going to turn three. So this winter, when I put everybody into the winter room for, you know, the bread lie, as well as all the colubrids, she's going in there too. So, and she's, she's got to wait for the boy. She can't breed yet, but I'm going to have her go through winter with everybody else, regardless of that. So... Yep. You know, it kind of yeah, seems to be the better thing. I think that's the best thing for, for people that are going to get into it, just ensure that you can do that for, for long term. I mean, yeah. I, honestly, I, I have snakes, whether they bred or not. Um, and obviously, we want these things to live as long as they possibly can because the hobby is fun. But uh, if you can't do that and cool them down, you know, get, get, a, get a different uh, carpet python. Yeah. Yep. So, now – you know, uh, Martin, you did you did do something that myself and Eric both have done recently. That was you moved your entire freaking collection. <laughs> yeah, but pretty nerve, pretty nerve wracking. We're, we're, we're like I went an hour away, and Eric went like what, forty minutes away. You went numerous states away. <laughs> yep. So, can you? Get a, can you take us through that experience of moving your collection uh, that far? First of all, let me stay right off the bat. It was probably the most nerve-wracking experience ever. I was, I was like, holy crap, can't know I'm going to move all these snakes, and, you know, what if something happens with FedEx? So two things that were on my, on my side, actually, was I still have my place in California, and I had cages that were set up here and, and you know, built uh, and ready to go here in Ohio. And so – with my job, I travel off of work, so I was able to travel back to California, work, check on the snakes, make sure everything was cool, travel back to Ohio and come home, right. make sure everything was cool here. And I had a really, we have a really good relationship with the FedEx people in California at my at my office. Um, and so they like they knew that like, it was so funny. Every time I get a snake in, I always have a shit to my job, and they would like stand there. I'm like, what's up? And they're like, we want to see what you got, man. <laughs> open it up. And, but they they were like really cool, and, and they were you know they would they, again I don't know what they did between point A and B, but they were always like, hey man, we know you got snakes, and we'll take care of you. So I felt comfortable in that aspect with packing up snakes, you know, um, 
a couple boxes at a time and shipping them out. So I had some cages here. Um, I kind of paired some animals up in California, uh, shipped one of the big cages here, had some racks built here. So that was kind of ready. And once that was already, I started kind of shipping them over. I shipped one box over by itself. And then I just said, you know what? I need to get these things over here and get these cages over. So I packed up, uh, what did I have? Four boxes, big boxes full of carpet pythons. <laughs> oh my and, God. Uh, pretty much shipped them all at one time. And so I, I, I got them all packed up. I, I put them on, uh, on uh, the FedEx truck at four thirty. Jumped on a red eye, got here to Ohio at six o'clock in the morning, drove home and waited for him. And by golly, at ten o'clock in the morning, they all showed up. I mean, they were in perfect condition. No boxes were damaged. They actually put them on the, you know, delivered them right side up, you know, with the arrows pointing up. And uh, I, I lucked out. I mean, I, I, I would not suggest that people do that on a normal basis, ship that many snakes at one time. I mean, I know people do that overseas <laughs> and stuff like that, but I mean, it, it was pretty scary. Um, but uh, it worked out for me. It was. It was nerve-wracking to say the least that's for sure all right, all right. And, you know, and i didn't have any issues i think because i had kind of the same similar racks that i had out there other than mm-hmm. you know these were made of hdpe and i had the uh, uh two of the protect cages already here that actually worked out so i mean for a good uh six weeks i i actually did have a bunch of the you know females in the same cages um until the other cages came but i had to ship those things uh fedex ground which you know took forever you know, right. they got him here. They're like, yeah, they'll, they'll be delivered on Monday. So I'm like, okay, cool. Monday comes, no, no shows. I call up FedEx. I'm like, hey, where, where's my cages? They're like, oh, well, we told you they were going to be here in Ohio. They were going to deliver them to your house. We need to get another uh-huh. truck. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, nice. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, but, uh, yeah, it worked out. I mean, it was, it was a all in all with the cages coming in and stuff like that. I mean, it was a good six-week deal getting everybody set up once again. But uh, it had no harm on the animals. I, I, uh, nobody got sick. Uh, everybody ate right away and, and everybody, you know, bred on time there. I mean, that was in, uh, when did I move? So August. So yeah, I mean, I, I gave them a month and a half, two months to, to kind of get acclimated to Ohio and then, you know, everybody bred like clockwork. Yeah. So now like, were you sitting at your house with the tracking number pulled up, just hitting refresh as your entire collection was like in transit? Oh, you know, I was. It was no, crazy. no, yeah, was that's just, a stupid question. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> clink, clink, clink. <laughs> God, moving sucks. Anyway, um, so, uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on the future of carpet pythons as it relates to the reptile hobby? You know, uh, when I started, they were kind of a niche little market. Nobody really got into it. Um, Eric kind of started right when morphs and all that stuff, the popularity kind of gained in force. And, you know, uh, you're, you're, you jumped in it when a lot of those morphs and combos had already been kind of toyed with a little bit. So where do you think we're going from here? You know, I, who knows, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I kind of, kind of pondered on that question. I mean, I, I think um, people will tend at this point, will tend to sort of go more pure, stuff i mean i'm doing the same thing i'm trying to build up my jungle collection mm-hmm. um and, and trying to you know because a lot of these animals that we had i mean i mentioned that my buddy jeff had bought that you know black and white banded jungle carpet python i mean you, you don't you do not see those regularly anymore i mean we thought it was nothing back then so i, yeah. I, I think more so you know where it's kind of headed is people i mean the mores will always be there and people always keep pushing kind of the, the next greatest kind of cool thing that they can come up with and kind of push that brown but it, it looks to me at least that People are also kind of pulling together, you know, pure stuff just to kind of keep that thing kind of, you know, 
going. And so, you know, later on, five, ten years down the line, somebody can say, like, yeah, that, that's not a missing snake anymore. We actually, you know, people do breed those things still and still have them around. Um, I think the more thing will always be the same. I mean, it's like that way at the snake world anyway. You know, it, it's everybody always wants the greatest that thing. And when that's said and done and, and played out, they'll be trying to get the, the next thing. I mean, I'm, I'm the same thing. You know, I'm doing the same thing with the gammas, I think. But um, the, the carpet python community is, is a unique community. I, I think there's a lot of uh, – Close, closer knit people than I think in most uh, snake uh, communities. At least that's my experience. I'd agree. Um, everybody yeah. kind of everybody checks each other, you know, to the point where sometimes it can be rude and, and bad. But <laughs> at, at yeah. the, ultimately, ultimately, it, it just keeps everybody accountable for what they're doing and where sure. they're going. And because of because of that way, I think that the carpet python, you know, and, and the hobby will kind of continue. I have, I have absolutely nothing against ball pythons. I personally don't necessarily like them, but I have nothing. But I don't think it'll be like the ball python where we walk in and, you know, stuff that was selling for whatever amount of money is, you know, selling for 10 bucks at a table and everybody's got the same damn thing. I think it's just a little bit different um, in the carpet python world. And a lot of other animals as well, you know. Right. I, I like the way it's going. I mean, I've met a lot of cool people. I mean, it's just pretty sweet to walk into a show and, you know, everybody's just kind of, you know, carpet row, really? That, that, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. cool that they don't have a tick row, right? They don't have a ball python row. I mean, <laughs> if, they had a ball python, if they had a ball python row, it would just be like a circle around <laughs> the whole ring. That would, they, yeah. No, you can't have it in a row. So, <laughs> So I, I I tend to think that it's, it's for me it's cool and I, I like the Morris but I certainly like the uh, the pure stuff as well and I like that people are are holding other people accountable. Uh, again, mm. sometimes it can be rude and sarcastic and make kind of people feel bad. I think sometimes it shies away some of the newbie guys that come in, but um, accountability to to keep some of this stuff kind of going and and, and alive is, is you know sometimes it is. It's, so you being established in the carpet community. What advice would you give uh, a newcomer? Uh, I'm just a new guy still, guys. I, you know, I, I appreciate you guys having me on the show, and I think it's funny, you know, kind of laugh. I'm like, man, I still walk to a show with my mouth on the floor, like, whoa, there's so-and-so. Hey, man, nice to meet you, you know. Um, but for, for newcomers, <laughs> I would say buy and, 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 and you know, stuff that, that you like, that, that pleases you. Don't, don't uh, do what everybody else thinks is, is what you should be getting. If you like something, buy it. If you, if you want to breed it, breed it. Um, yeah. But in the same token, uh, this is you know probably the most important. Don't, don't do it strictly for for money because what ends up happening when people do stuff strictly for money is that ultimately the animals inevitably end up suffering uh, because you're trying to pump this stuff out as fast as you can just to make a buck. Um, I remember when I started kind of selling reptiles for in the recycler, you know, that penny saver kind of thing. It's, I, I even realized, like, man, you know, I, like I get these animals in, you know, and flip these things so quick. It's like I'm not even sure if this animal's okay or something like that. I mean, you you really gotta if you're a new person coming into it, don't do it for money. Do it because you actually like the hobby, you like the animals, you like dealing working with carpet pythons. Uh, if you're gonna make money, you're gonna make money. If not, you know, you're not. Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, man, you know, are you doing this as a business? I was like, dude, I can have ten clutches this year and none next year. So no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I like I like snakes regardless of whether they bred or you know bred or not. So, but uh, you know, buy what you like. Make sure you can take care of it. You know, read as much as you possibly can on them. You know, like we're talking the difference between diamond pythons and, and you know normal. You know, I call them norm, normal carpet pythons. Read that stuff up. I mean, you don't want to buy an animal and it'll get sick and dying on you. You know, because it's it's the animal suffers and that's not cool. Yeah. Um, so read 
you know, buy stuff that you like and uh, don't, don't try to do it strictly for money. I mean, obviously there are some people that do it for a living and that's, that's awesome. And I think that's, you know, shoot, I wish I could do that, but mm-hmm. it's not realistic for a lot of people. And uh, if we're not set up for it, like I said, the animals end up suffering and that, that's just not cool. They, no. they, they belong in better hands at that point. <laughs> True. So like, what is your, home-based show because i know you like out in california you must have been to all those shows now that you're out in ohio um have you kind of been to the local reptile show are you kind of still working your way into the local community yeah i'll I'll go out there i mean i i I go in real quick and and if i'm going to buy some frozen stuff or live stuff i'll pop in there's a cleveland show here every month and there's Mm -hmm. one in columbus every month i think there's a couple of other ones too around ohio so i have been in the cleveland one you know i I go there once every couple of months i don't go there every month i mean it's just a far drive and usually you know it's on a sunday too which usually the family are you know we go to church on sunday morning and right by the time i brought a church i'm not driving to cleveland to go catch a show for half an hour <clears throat> so uh but I, I did go to tinley for the first time uh back in uh october of, or when is it september october whichever one is. i went last year and then i went yeah. again this march actually so I, I plan on going to those every every year both of them but those are cool i mean that's a, I mean, that's huge it reminds me of the first time i went to daytona I mean, this is like like, oh, my God, I can't believe people are in the snakes. <laughs> right. I don't know how, how, how Daytona is now. I mean, it's been almost 15 years since I've been to Daytona. I don't know I've how heard bad things. I've heard bad so things about I, Daytona. Know. Yeah. Yeah, but when I went to Tinley, like, it was no joke. I was just like, man, this is awesome. The biggest show I've ever been to. Bigger than the ones in California, for sure. The California ones are nice. They're actually big. But Tinley is pretty cool. If, if you're listening, Vito, get on a plane. I think you're yeah. trying to get yeah. Vito out there, too. <laughs> Tinley is always uh, Tinley's always fun, you know. I, I sent Eric out before just to make sure everything was all cool before I committed. Um, and yeah. all he did the entire time he's out there without me was just pester the f out of me and make me wish I was there. So That's now, right. I'm like, now I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm never missing an October Tinley again, unless I'm dead. So you know, that's just gonna be how it goes. But. Um, it's, I think it's, a yeah, it's, just a cool, it's, it's cool to meet everybody too. You know, in California, yeah. there, there's a bunch of carpet python people, obviously, and, you know, and, um, but it's like, you know, you get kind of like one half of the story, you know, I mean, everybody swaps animals and trades and, and sells all over the country, you know, so there, there just seemed like there was a, a lot, a lot of people. I mean, I get guys from California, Todd, he's always, you know, he always goes to Tinley. I yeah. see Todd all the time when I was out in California. So I was like, man, I need to get out there. And so it was kind of cool the first couple of times I got out there to, you know, to meet you guys and, and see you guys in person. Um, I plan on trying to come to some of the uh, carpet fests as well. I went to the one on the yes. West Coast that they had a couple of years ago, but certainly I won't be able to make it this time next weekend, but nah. for sure, you know, I, I plan on actually kind of, you know, coming up and hitting those up now that I'm on this side of the coast as well. But, but say you're, 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 you're in our uh, carpet fest territory now, technically, yeah, yeah. if we want to go down that route. So, you know, yeah. this is, you, you have been, in, you, you will soon be inducted into the original chapter. So, you know, congratulations. But uh, <laughs> Thank you. Gotta make sure and it's and it's weird when people talk to us about like meeting us for the first time, because I love it that they walk up to Eric and they're like, you're taller. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's the one thing I love. <laughs> so um, what I got for you now is we have the closing questions, which obviously if you've listened to the show before, there are a bunch of weird questions that we ask you to kind of get you thinking about stuff. And it, it kind of does punch you right in the wallet a little bit because we make you think about things that you want. So <laughs> what's your next carpet Python purchase going to be? 
Uh, probably Jungle Carpet Python, actually. Just It's a straight jungle. I'm actually I'm trying to uh, build that part of the collection up. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a, a few things coming from uh, Andrew Paris uh, ah, this week. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that'll be cool. But uh, and then after that, I'll, I'll be looking for uh, female jungles um, to kind of build up the collection. I'm a little light on that. So I, I try to have more females of, of whatever I have more than I have males. And uh, yeah. So the next next purchase probably will end up being jungle carpet pythons of some sort. Nice. So I, I did. This is my first season hatching jungle carpets, and I got four eggs that went the distance, and all four eggs were girls. So nice. I don't I don't know if I can complain or if I should complain because I'm like I kind of wanted a boy in there, but it's like I better than four boys. So yeah, right. Um, so. Now, if you could work with any species without limitations, whether they be from law or price tag, what would it be and why? Uh, outside of carpets, any species? Any species. It's probably Amazon based in tree bullets. I've, I've just Jeez. always, I've had, you know, plenty of them, you know, for the last 15, 20 years. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> My first time actually getting into it, Stan Chiris was still breeding them. And uh-huh. uh, he had written that article in uh, Reptiles Magazine. So, I, you know, and you, you look in, you know, I didn't know the difference between a Suriname Emerald Tree Boa and an Amazon Basin. So I, I called him up and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take one of the uh, Emerald Tree Boas. He's like, all right, it'll be, you know, 1500 bucks at that time. And I'm like, wait, what? I thought, I thought they were like 500 bucks. He's like, no, dude, there's a difference between Amazon Basin and Suriname. I'm like, Egh. you know, back to the drawing board on that one. <laughs> but um, I just love those snakes, you know. I mean, I, I, I they're, they're, Ones that are being produced now by uh, a few of the guys, Ed Marino and, you know, people like that are, you know, they're, they're costly and they're expensive. And so for me, I, I've had, you know, my fair share, but, you know, you got to kind of look yourself and say, okay, what's my priority here? You know, I got to take care of things at the house or, you know, uh, some other stuff and send a couple of kids to college and stuff like that. But uh, I had no limitations, stuff like that. I'd have a room full of Amazon based in Emerald Tree Lewis. Man. And you, you want to talk about uh, teeth. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been on the receiving end of at least one of those things once. So uh, now you can keep the Amazon. You can keep the Amazon. So that's all you. So yeah, those are pretty cool. Love them. Now, if you could go field herping anywhere on the world, what? Where would you go, and what would you be hoping to find? Uh, good question. Actually, I mean, I got couple places i'd love to go I mean, i'd like to go to you know costa rica mm. um i just you know filter everything would be awesome the frogs and you know the, the, the range of uh, reptiles and you know in the rainforest would just be sweet and obviously australia i mean i think that would just be sweet <laughs> right so several guys have gone off there and doing that stuff and then i mean i think i'd get excited finding anything running across the road any kind of snake blackheads or you know womas you know you name it it's just i think that would just be way cool that would be awesome so, huh, I will get there sometime. So, um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to check out your collection or to possibly attempt to throw a ton of money at you for an ocelot stripe jag thingy, um, how would they do that? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have my personal page. Uh, you know, it's Martin Rosemont. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, it's uh it's a private page so if you're into snakes just friend request me if you see i have a snake picture i'll i'll accept you then i have my uh, snake page which is uh martin r morelia uh, and that's open so i 
try to post up as much as I can on there. I don't have all my animals on there, but I post up some pretty cool pictures. Um, and that's it. You know, you can email me at mrosemon72 at gmail.com. Um, I post on you know, most of the Facebook classified forums, uh, classified corporate pythons and you know, Morelia classified, stuff like that. Awesome. Um, so it's pretty easy to find. So what do you got available right now? I mean, if this is like, you know, if what, like somebody calls you up, what would they be looking for right now? I got a few gammas uh, for sale and I've got uh, a bunch of sibs. Uh, some of the sibs are, are outstanding. I mean, there, there's been some people that have posted up a couple of the sibs and these sibs that I have this season far do any ones that I've ever produced. They're, they're just, they're pretty sick. Um, I, again, I'm like hard pressed. I'm like, man, should I keep these all and, and put them into the mix or what? But you know, some guys that get some pretty sweet snakes and I do have some gammas for sale. And at the last clutch that I have are going to be some uh, bread light oscillated animals bred to a wild jungle. Wow. Um, those are going to be pretty sweet. So those will be available as well when they're ready. Uh, they're due to hatch any moment now. I've, I've been at the incubator at least once a day looking. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> my, my, my wife just chimed in and said, uh, what did you say? What, what was that? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, she's keeping you honest. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah. so those will be available. But, yeah, don't don't snooze on the gamma. They'll, they'll be gone quick. Um, you know, yeah. I'll do it again next year. But uh, they, they, once they're gone, they're, they're, they're gone. I don't, they don't stay around too long. Nice. That's awesome. So, and you got diamonds coming up, so you guys, you know, a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I yeah. Diamonds, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying not to think about them because uh, right when they're are, are going to uh, start hatching out, um, we're actually going on vacation. So I, oh, I no. my, my, old, my, my <laughs> oldest son. I said, hey man, you need to house sit. I said, and, and in that house sitting means you need to snake sit. And he's like, good grief, are you serious, Dad? I'm like, yeah, you have to pull these suckers out. And, <laughs> so he's coming a couple of days before we leave on vacation. Hopefully they hatch out by then. But uh, oh, no. I'll have fun doing that for a while. <laughs> I, I don't want to curse you, but every time I'm about to leave someplace and I have a clutch that's going to hatch like the week after or a week before. I am packing and I'm fully packed. And then the last thing I do is go check the incubator and there'll always be one little nose poking out of an egg. So <laughs> yeah. like they'll start pipping right when I like absolutely have to leave. Like, so that is just how that happens to me. So I hope it doesn't happen to you, but be ready. No, I've, I've had that happen a couple of times. Actually. I had there you uh, go. I went to Yosemite town on a camping trip. And as we're leaving, I look in, there's a head out. I'm like, good grief. So I just God damn it. <laughs> left them there, came back from camping. They were all out and happy, healthy. So it, it ended up working out on that one. Awesome. Nice. Well, Mark, that's, that's all we have to annoy you with today, but you know, thanks for coming on and spreading some pretty good carpet knowledge on us. Hey, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. This is uh, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, you're, you're giving a pass uh, from missing this carpet fest because it is kind of close, but uh, we, <laughs> we expect to see you at the next one. So That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, and I would have been there. I just got in trouble for work. And I mean, I, I was looking at my schedule. And I was like, crap, I'm not going to be able to pull out of this project. So, well, but yes, I will be at the next one for sure. Perfect. Nice. So we'll definitely catch you at that one. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks for coming right, on, dude. I appreciate it. Thank yep. you. Have a good night. Bye. You too. Uh, cool stuff, man. Cool stuff. Uh, you saw those babies, right? Well, you saw it in the outline.
line that I said. I did. That's are crazy. You, are you all over those babies? Because I know you're like that, and you're all over babies like that. Yeah, they're pretty cool, but I'm actually more interested in his diamond pythons. I'll have to be hitting them up for that. You uh, who sure. have how many reduced pattern diamond pythons? I only have one. Get more reduced pattern diamond pythons. Why, why do I have to tell you this? Yeah. No. Why do we have to have this conversation? So. <laughs> Especially on air. Damn it. I, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's that. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. But no, that's cool. I mean, obviously getting diamond pythons is killer. And the stripes with the ocelot markings on the sides just kind of make those animals pop even more. So mm-hmm. that's some killer stuff he's got cooking on over there. And he's kind of like flying a little bit under the radar a little bit so it's cool so yeah yeah i i think what he does man it's it's awesome i i like the idea that he stays focused on a project i think that's something that uh that uh that holds some merit man you know because yeah it's one of those things like people i'm guilty of this as well it's like oh i want this i want that i want this i want that i want this i want that and then you got these guys that just are like super focused and they're able to like somehow bypass that thing in your head that says, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're able to get past it somehow. I don't know how, but uh, they're able to do it. But also, wouldn't you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that because there's, there's certain people that are so super focused on a certain type, they become known for it. And then it's like their reptile collection uh, or sales or something come, becomes so much easier. I mean, you know, Andrew okay. Paris is no, Andrew Paris is known for jungles. And he has right. meticulously picked out every single jungle he's got, and they're all stellar. So sure. when Andrew Paris produces jungles, he doesn't, really have to try, he doesn't have to try too hard to get rid of them. I mean, they're all going. You know, no. the same thing goes with, you know, Chris at Headhunter. You know, and that's just how it goes. It's, in my opinion, and it always will be, it's quality, quality over quantity. So yeah. if, you can, if you're passionate about something, say, like, you love – exanic granites to death you better make sure you pick up some of the greatest exanic granites and just stick with it and, and people will come find you it's the old saying that uh uh if you build a better mousetrap somebody's going to pave uh road to your doorstep so yeah if you have freaking stellar animals people are going to find you so and they're yeah. going to be known for that sure yeah absolutely you don't stuff. have to be a scatterbrain like me with white lips mac lots olives you know. <laughs> Yeah. Everything else staring I, back at you. So. I figured I'd narrowed my focus to Australian pythons. Uh, and Good carpets job. is the main thing. So, I mean, that's kind of my focus now, you know. Uh, so those walnuts that I've added recently, dude, holy shit. Man, I can't wait to breathe down. But that, and that's oh, another God. one. That's another one. That guy focused on walnuts and produced some of the best freaking walnuts out there. So it's oh, like, art? You, yeah, holy yeah. shit. So if you if you love a species, focus on it and and make that the best you can do. I mean, what is it? Michael Pennell focused on coastals when coastals were nothing, and he yeah. has a line of coastals that even today, with all the stupid morphs and all the crazy ass localities of coastal, they're still sought after. So oh, yeah, yeah. I know a guy that has Pennell <laughs> coastals that I want him, I want him to breed those Pennell coastals. Next year, man. Next year. <laughs> Next year. Next year, I'm over at your house, and then I'm just going shopping with the cart. So. <laughs> yeah. 
I was working on that. It's funny you say that. Um, mm. So, um, well, I'm not going to say the name on the air, but I'm, I'm kind of doing <laughs> some. You, you know who this is. But I'm doing right. some uh, breeding, joint breeding projects with said person. Right. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, <laughs> they're like long-term breeding projects. And um, uh, so I got those. And then I was going through my collection and kind of looking mm. at, like, the stuff that I could breed. And you'll see it when you come to Carpet Fest. I, I kind of, like, put it there purposely so that, like, people would make fun of it or whatever. But Did you put like the little, book down? <laughs> no, no, no. I have, like, oh. a little dry erase board that I, like, start. So my my way of doing it is, is, like, right around now is, like, when I start to look and see what females I think could be ready and da-da-da-da-da. Right. And because uh, I, I start to feed them heavy right around now. And uh, I jot them on the board. There was 32 pairings. Oh. And, dude, that's a fucking lot. Oh. Holy shit. Now, have you sat down and calculated the eggs? Like, Well, if you average that it's like 12 eggs a clutch, that's yeah. 350 babies. So I started doing all this different kind of multiplications and stuff. And I'm yeah. like, oh, man, you know that stack I have for the babies? Yeah. I'm going to need eight of those. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm definitely taking over the other half of the garage if this is going to happen. There's no well, doubt in my mind. And, and dude, I, I'm in the middle of building new stacks, racks, and everything. And I'm actually going to expand my baby racks. So right now I have 80 baby cases. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, like, like right now I have nine <laughs> more slots open in the baby rack nine cages left wow uh, so i got nine, i got nine eggs left nine baby cages left so if i get one set of twins i'm screwed <laughs> wow. and that happened to me before i'm like ah, oh, cool i have damn it and then twins and i'm like Shit. Son of so and i was and i'm not even counting my cow king babies because i have two of those getting ready to hatch and, and basically i'm gonna be out of baby cage so i need more baby cages but uh if I were to ever get all the animals that I attempted to breed, I would blow right past my allotted number of bins so quickly. It's ridiculous. That's why mm-hmm. I had to expand and get, um, I'm probably going from 80 to probably close to 200 baby cages. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's a lot. And you know that it is. Not gonna, I, I won't get a lot. I mean, I won't get everything that I shoot for, obviously. No. Never do. Who knows? Maybe I will. I don't know. But I, I, but if you do, don't you go out of your freaking mind? Like, you know, if I were to get every single clutch that I ever shot for, like, the, uh-huh. after the last clutch hatched, I'm pretty sure I would grab every normal baby, like, every normal, like, not anything genetically something or pretty looking and just get rid of it. Because I, getting, I don't know how Nick gets, like, 400 babies a year feeding without pulling. Actually, no, he shaves his head. Never mind. So I guess he does. Pull his head <laughs> yeah. He might. That's, yeah. What, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah I don't, it's, uh, it's one of those things, man. It's just like, uh, I mean, he does it for a living. So if I did it right. for a living, then obviously it would be much easier. But, uh, 
and he working does, sixty plus hours a week, and, and then you know, going and he, in and doing yeah. Yeah, and, and I, he does breed his own rodents, so like we just established that Martin sometimes feeding live is a little bit easier than trying to get everybody on frozen. So. Oh yeah, I I swear by that now. Like the whole uh, start maybe carpets out. They 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 have to go live to start out. Um, at least the first three feedings is is my approach. I don't even yeah. mess around. Like you can get them to start on frozen thaw, but. Well, I don't know. I just I don't even bother messing around. It's just go straight Well, I mean, if you tried frozen thaw uh, on a good season and on a good clutch, you'll get most of them right off the bat, and you'll get like uh-huh. two or three holdouts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and but with live feeding, like at one point, you could get a hundred percent first try. So yeah. that's just how it goes. I like I said, I got two holdouts from my super caramel clutch. And I have two clutches that are starting to have their first sheds and we'll start getting ready to feed now too. So yeah. it is a crapshoot, but I am going to have to go get the live, but you know, it's how it goes. Yep. It's part of the, part of the whole, uh, the whole deal. Um, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, let's wrap it up. I got some, I'm going to be working into the wee hours in the morning <laughs> and uh, <laughs> finishing up what I got to finish up. But uh, I got a list to run down, and we'll do that, and we'll get out of here. So next week, like Owen said, uh, the show is after the Carpet Fest. Um, for those who can't make it, you you guys suck. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you will miss out, and we won't tell you everything that goes on. No, but, uh, we'll keep for, it from you. For for our friends in Australia, who you know, come on, I'm not going to expect them to travel from. Australia to uh, Warminster, yeah. PA to uh, go to Carpet <laughs> Fest. So we'll get we'll give them the the, the real the real show. But if you're in Australia, we suggest that you guys go to the Midwest Carpet Fest, aka Tinley Park. It's a yeah. big reptile show. Plus, we're there. So yes. do that. True story. Yes. Um, so we're gonna be doing that, but. We're going to be airing on Wednesday night because yes. I decided to go fishing on Tuesday night, uh, not realizing that I would be fishing until 10 Tuesday o'clock night. at night. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I can do the show from a boat. Uh, I've never tried. It, could. it would be interesting. Uh, it would be, you know, well, actually, you get no signal out there. So, like, you're, you're – nah, dude. <laughs> so, uh, um, no signal, yeah, you, no Facebook. Yeah, you're shut off from the world. But um, uh, yeah, you're going you're going fishing with the curtains, which you know that's always a trip. Um, I did it last year; it was awesome. Um, Chris, I know Chris Foley's going with you. Last year, he spent the entire time uh, screaming for Ralph in the ocean. Um, <laughs> never called back. So hopefully, he's a little bit better this year. Um, I'm kind of. I'm kind of sitting here on the outskirts hoping that, like, somebody cancels last minute and they'll just run down there. So um, will, I'm going to talk yeah, to right. Mike at Carpet Fest and be like, if anybody, anybody drops out, you call me, and I'll figure this out. And then I'll have uh, Kurt and convince Jim to give me uh, Tuesday off. So um, nice. we'll see. Yeah, I'm going to have to talk to that Jim when he steps yeah. down there because, you yeah, know, you I mean, do that. there's a lot of – there's a lot of Aurelia Python radio things that are happening that you're not going to be involved with. Is like you know what I mean? You're not going to be at the zoo. You're not going to be on the no. fishing trip. No. 
I don't know. You know working. Goddamn work. Job. Way. Goddamn money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so the show is going to be Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard yes. Time. Uh, so you can download it or whatever on Thursday or actually it's Wednesday night, but you know whatever. Uh, so we'll be one day delayed. Um, Don't panic. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, for us, Morelia Python Radio, you can check out our website, MoreliaPythonRadio.com, for everything Morelia. Stay up to date with our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at Morelia Python. Uh, to listen to the show, you can go to iTunes, Blog Talk page, which is Blog Talk Radio slash MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, and Stitcher or whatever podcast app you have, uh, you can uh, get it on. Still trying to get it on the Google thing. For some reason, I, I'm having such a hard time with that, but I'm working is on it. it. The uh, Google thing? Yeah, I forget what it is. It's it's like the uh, Android uh, nah, podcast yeah, app thing or whatever. Um, so if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, etc., you can email us at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Obviously, we've been talking about Carpet Festus this weekend, June 3rd, 2017. It's in Warminster, PA. Uh, there's going to be an auction for U.S. ARC. Uh, there's going to be plenty of food. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, so if you are interested in coming, uh, I would suggest joining the Northeast Carpet Fest group page so you can stay up to date with everything that's going on. We're just days away, man. If you ain't got this together by now, I don't know. But – right. Everybody's welcome. So if you decide that you want to come at the last minute, head on up and uh, just send me a PM and I'll send you the address and we'll go from there. Right. If you um, guys have any questions at all regarding this weekend's Carpet Fest, if you're on the fence about it, if you're not sure what to do, where to go, contact myself or Eric. We'll point you in the right direction. Uh, like you said, everybody is welcome. You do not need an invitation. Just let us know you're coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that. Uh, I want to throw two shout outs that I've been doing this, but, uh, rep the links. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to the episode with Nick, uh, be sure to dive in and check it out. He goes in depth about his product and the positive results that he's seen, uh, with using it. Uh, the website is rep So check it out for all your, uh, feeding needs. Um, and I believe that they're about to send out the June uh, shipments um, mm-hmm. because so I should be getting mine any day, uh, maybe next week or something like that. I'm, did I, did I really, tell you, what? Uh, Chris has uh, 10 babies of mine from last year because I got kind of overwhelmed by what I had. And I told him to take my whole bags and just kind of feed them up for me. So he's got right. 10 of them. And he's going to be bringing them to Carpet Fest because he's like, this is the first time we've seen each other in a while. So I'm going to take them back because they're big enough now and I got less stuff. So whatever. Mm-hmm. He sends me, he sends me a picture of my super caramel jag holdback, gorgeous animal eating a reptilink. And he's like, I'm going to get all your animals stuck on reptilinks before I send them back to you. I'm like, why? <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> like, no. I'm like, shit, no. now I got to start. I guess I can start ordering those things. So, you know, it's, hopefully they uh, go back to the way we feed. Otherwise, I'm going to be right with you ordering stuff from Reptilink. So. 
Yeah, I'm just curious to try it out and see what happens. Uh, Apparently, my guys have been eating them for a while and doing great. I don't freaking know. Yeah, there you go. I think Nick's a good guy and he does a good job. So uh, I'm just going to keep giving him shout outs. And hopefully in the upcoming weeks, uh, I can uh, uh, report back on my uh, experiences with with the product. So, yeah. um, and I have to give a shout out to Ian Bissell, uh, S&J Reptiles. His specialty is green tree pythons. Uh, his website is sjreptiles.com. He's on Facebook as S&J Reptiles. Um, I think uh, the thing is with him, he's been helping me out with uh, securing some uh, really good chondro guests. Uh, so in the next coming months, we'll have uh, uh, some, some cool chondro shows and some off the topic. Uh, I told you about the uh, show about Tanzania. San, San, yeah. Uh, so that should be cool. Um, just, uh, just a lot of cool stuff coming up. So stay tuned for that. Um, but if you're into green trees, uh, Ian's having a great season uh, and he has some really cool stuff. So be sure to go and check out his uh, page. Myself, E.B. Moralia. My website's ebmoralia.com. My email is Eric at E.B. Moralia. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at E.B. Moralia. Um, I've been slacking uh, just because <laughs> of the busy, busy, busy carpet fest and, and all this stuff. So once Carpet Fest is over, um, that's really uh, should be a good time to get back and taking some pictures of everything, updating stuff and all that stuff. So uh, just be patient and uh, we'll get it going uh, real soon. And that's all I got. I'm just looking forward to this weekend. Yeah. So what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. That's uh, all the stuff we got going on at Rogue. Uh, like Eric, I've been lazy, but we're in the process of updating all of those things as well as, uh, I needed a new light tent. So once that arrives, uh, we'll start taking pictures of babies once they're ready to roll right now. Uh, super caramel and caramel and caramel Jags are kind of getting their, uh, food on. They'll be ready to go probably, hopefully soon. Then we'll get some other clutches ready to roll. Uh, you can also go and look up rogue reptiles at facebook.com. Check out that stuff we got going on over there. Uh, you'll let, next show I got lined up for you guys is Tinley park in Chicago in uh, October. So, uh, we have a lot of time between shows, but we can also deliver to a lot of the shows in the Northeast. So if you do want a baby or an animal, let us know. We can always deliver it that way. And that's all we got for you guys this week. So, uh, we're going to catch everybody back here. Remember later. Wednesday night next week uh, for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night, everybody.